Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. I'm well, and I always think that enthusiasm when you start the show, it sounds like, ah, it's just a, it's no big deal. It's kind of a throwaway, but that's hard, man. I remember I covered for you on 100 Proof, and there was no way I could mimic that at all. I mean, that your enthusiasm starting the show is great. Thank you very much for that. And you sound yeah. like you're in good spirits too, my friend. I'm trying to be. I hate that uh, Taylor Hawkins died and Foo Fighters canceled oh, the yeah. rest of their tour across the board uh, tonight for obvious reasons. And selfishly, they were supposed to be at a festival I'm going to be at, so I hope it's not a shitty band that replaces them. But, uh, yeah, all things equal, I'm good. Yeah, that Taylor Hawkins news was shocking, and, um, you know, I, I kind of didn't give it much thought. But then you sent me a demo reel or a uh, a reel of some of your work for the radio station you work at, and you, you did a beautiful tribute to him. And I was moved by it, and uh, that's got to be a, a great big loss, not only to, of course, his friends and, and fans and family, but to you personally. Yeah, and the guy had young kids and, you know, like three children and a wife. And mm -hmm. he, he was just talking to Stern recently about, like, every rock star can't be Keith Richards and was just talking about his regimen and all the work that he does to stay fit. Mm-hmm. Cause he's like, that's the biggest thing on the road, especially as a drummer, you have to be in shape. Yeah. So the guy was working out like crazy, but even so, I guess I don't want to, you know, just jump on and suggest I know everything, but I read that he had an, an enlarged heart that was times two times the size of what it should have been. And you'd have to think that's tied in with the drug use. It, yeah. It's gotta be. Yeah. Cliff Victoria in the chat says he had tickets to go see Led Zeppelin and then John Bonham died. Wow. Jeez, that is that is so sad. Are you a Zeppelin fan, Dan? Sure. I mean, I don't know all the stuff. Mm -hmm. For some reason, that's just a band I never really uh, listened to in depthly. But mm -hmm. I'm not going to be like, oh, dude, what the fuck are we listening to? You know? <laughs> yeah, they're one of my favorite bands of all time. And to miss out on John Bonham and the, and Zeppelin, that had to be crushing. Boy, speaking of crushing. Uh, <laughs> Just, there's so much bad news to talk about. I'm trying to get, kind of try to keep uh, an objective look on things, but you know, there's the Oscars thing. There's uh, uh, Ryan Poles talking to the media, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm all in support for what he's trying to do, but there's definitely been some issues moving forward. And uh, you know, I've had a kind of a tough time um, understanding what he's trying to do i get it but the execution of it has been highly flawed i know that you received some pushback on social media when you called yeah. this, this the elvin joby thing a, a clown show but you know there there's kind, kind of an a smidgen of truth to that how do you sign a guy and then days later learn that uh, his ankle is so serious that the contract doesn't fit the the, the player. You know, there's, and, and, and uh, polls talked about that. He says, there's gotta be something done in by the rules committee, you know, for us to get this information days afterwards, because it's a great big blow to the player. And of course the organization, did you listen to any of polls uh, 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 addressing the, the media yesterday or Eberflus today? 
I have not. I've been I caught up with it on Twitter the best I can, but when people are just sharing it, their thoughts, it's hard for me to establish what they said versus what the coach said. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it is it is um again, I, I I love the guy. I love what he's trying to do, but when you have setbacks like this, you start to wonder, holy cow, what is going on? I've got some audio clips here from some of the reporters who were at the polls. Uh, uh, press conference, so to speak. It was basically a, a for Eberflus. He talked with reporters over breakfast, and it appeared, based on the photographs that I saw, that Poles was outside on the steps uh, addressing questions. So let me play a little bit of that and get straight into a Bears talk, so we could have some time to talk about some other fun stuff uh, later. This is uh, Dan Weederer uh, making. Uh, making it clear that yes, we are in a rebuild. This thing is is not uh, a a a uh, get ready for the playoffs in year one. Dan Weederer over at ESPN One Thousand. I think what we've heard sort of directly from Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus is that they are in lockstep in understanding that this is not going to be a quick fix. It's the reason that you come to an agreement on a trade to send one of your best defensive players across the country in exchange for draft capital because you realize what you, me, the three of us have been saying forever, that they're not that close to contending for meaningful championships. And so to to basically publicly state that, to to do it with the actions that they've had in the last month, to understand that this is going to be a baby step process to build this team into a contender, I think there's a shared vision there. And now it's all about how can you retain that internal patience at Hallis Hall and how can you sell this to uh, a, a group of fans that is so fried and so burnt out and so sick of constantly starting over, that's going to be a tough tightrope for this uh, this regime to walk. But I think from the outset, they're at least willing to get on that tightrope and give it a try. I- you know, uh, Dan, it, it, it just strikes me that this should have been communicated in the very first day. And I put that up on Twitter and somebody uh, replied, well, you weren't listening because he did. And then I sent them back uh, an NBC Sports Chicago headline saying, uh, uh, Poles thinks he can contend in his first year. There's just no way. There's no way. Taking the approach that he wants to, which is to blow up the team and basically not resign anyone that was already on the roster. I mean, it's almost like there's a, a stench to these players, and he's going to bring in a whole new roster who've, who've got all these qualities that they're looking at. And um, I just I, I just feel like, man, this is like a, a, a stumbling start. Wouldn't you agree with that? I would definitely agree with that. I'm still optimistic, as I've told you, and maybe it's it's dumb optimism. I'm not certain, but the fact that Nagy's gone to me still feels like Maybe we can win some games. Maybe we can pull off some upsets. Again, Mm -hmm. in not the most difficult schedule, Mm -hmm. not the most difficult division, Mm -hmm. it feels like there's an opportunity to be a sleeper team. But then again, you don't even really have a roster yet. Exactly. I don't know what he's doing on that. Yeah. I mean, there's so many holes to fill on this roster. And it's not just depth pieces. You need starters. You need defensive backs. Uh, Iberflus at the press conference today said that, you know, he's, he's, there isn't a strong side linebacker on this team yet, so to speak. I'm paraphrasing. But he, but he also said they're going to be in a nickel defense for, what, 80% of his plays, I think he said. Well, they don't have a slot corner either. They don't have a safety uh, to play uh, opposite Eddie Jackson. 
Uh, they don't really have a corner opposite Jalen Johnson. So you can't fill all of these things through the draft. You've now got to find that third wave of free agents. And when you're talking about second and third wave guys, you're talking about guys who have not had success in the past year, which is why they're signing short-term contracts to try to turn their careers around. We're now digging into that bottom of the barrel of free agents. And uh, it almost feels to me like we're playing for a top five pick uh, in, in 2021. Well, I certainly hope not. And give Pulse credit. He did sign the guy from Buffalo no. to an offer sheet. Uh, from what I understand, that was matched. And yes. I saw a lot of Bear fans were upset about that. Right. Well, don't you but think that's they should Pulse's be? Fault. Well, he lowballed the guy. In my opinion, you know, I think I've got it somewhere here. Uh, oh, I lost it. Um, there, the contract details to me say you, you should have guaranteed half that contract. This is the NFL now where guaranteed contracts are now you're seeing more and more 100% guaranteed contracts. And these are like multi, multi-million dollar contracts. If you really want to bait so badly, you should have, you know, lifted that uh, rule that you have where you're going to, you know, get these wave two guys at value because you really need this guy. Now, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, what is he? He's a backup. Well, he started the last four games because the starter had an Achilles injury and he played fantastic. And so that's why everybody's high on him. That's why the bills match the offer sheet. So I just feel like that's, that's like another setback. And speaking of setbacks, Brad Biggs was on WSCR 670 to score and talked about that. They've had a couple setbacks. They've taken a couple L's here. You know, he was candid when I asked him, I said, you came to terms with Larry Ogunjobi, the three technique tackle that played for the Bengals at the very opening of the negotiation window for free agents. Well, that was on a Monday, okay? That was early on a Monday. They didn't come to the conclusion with medical information they, they got on Ogunjobi that, hey, this contract's not going to work for us. We can't do this until late on Thursday. And so I asked him, I said, between a verbal agreement on Monday and this conclusion that, hey, we, we can't do this $40.5 million three-year contract with you late Thursday, did other guys come off the board that you would have allocated that cash and that cap space for? And he said, yeah, it was disappointing because, you know, th that's how they were a loser in that deal. There's no bigger loser than, than Larry Ogunjobi in that situation, but that set back the Bears. And, and then they took an L when I, I think they were extremely optimistic about the chance of adding Ryan Bates, uh, the restricted free agent from the Bills, to the roster today. But Brandon Bean, uh, the Bills GM, said yesterday, hey, we're, we're going to match it, a $17 million uh, four-year contract with the first two years fully guaranteed at about $8.85 million. Uh, the, the Bills uh, – Giving him the low tender as an RFA at just over $2.4 million. And uh, they, they're going to move some numbers around to make uh, the, the base contract fit uh, in their books. So maybe I'm wrong there. The first two years of the contract were fully guaranteed. But clearly, you know, a, a little more sugar in that pie uh, would have made it more uh, difficult for the Bills to sign. It's not like they're... They're, they've got tons of, of salary cap space too. That should have been that that should have been a win for polls, and unfortunately, it, it's not. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I maybe he's 
going to sign some veterans. Uh, they get cast off in June because of salary cap yeah. cuts. I mean, I don't know what he's doing, but frankly, he doesn't owe me that right now. So, mm-hmm. and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, despite these setbacks. And maybe I'm contradicting myself because I was so caught up in the moment at the time of the, oh, fuck, we can't really sign Ogan Joby. We're sorry. You know, we, we fucked this up. I did feel really down at that moment, but I think I've, I've gotten out of that hole. Yeah. I I'm with you. You know, I, I, I sometimes hear some of this news and I want to lash out and say, Oh, this is bullshit and so forth. But I know it's going to be a painful start to this rebuild, but what's making it more painful are these misses, uh, the Ogan Joby thing and losing baits. And another thing that disturbed me a bit was, and I got, a, I got, I admire polls for trading Khalil Mack, you know, that really is the best thing. It's it's basically you're saying we're not going to be able to compete in 2022. So let's get some assets for this guy. And it, it creates more cap space so we can afford to sign some of these free agents. But the thing is that he said that kind of bothered me a little bit was that he made sure he sent him to a good place. So does that mean that, you know, he got a better trade offer from some team that, uh, would not have been agreeable to Khalil Mack, but you know he wanted to uh, take care of Mack. If so, then maybe you don't have the killer instinct. You, you or know, maybe he's lying. Maybe he just wants a pat on the back. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we could speculate uh, tons of stuff, but I just feel like if you're the general manager and you get a great offer for your star player and that – uh, and and Mac is going to be upset. Man, I don't want to go to a losing team, but that's what's best for the Chicago Bears organization. Sorry, you're you know Khalil Mack. We signed you to a hell of a lot of money, and you missed uh, uh, games, and and you didn't play to expectations. You're going to go where I can get the most value for the organization. I'm not going to worry about sending you to to a team where you can win a Super Bowl. That's the way I feel. I'm a little bit of a of an asshole. I'm I'm a lot of an asshole, but in that regard, I'm a bit of an asshole. <laughs> I see your point, but I think maybe he's just trying to get, you know, like ah, look at what I did for Khalil Mack. I'm yeah. a good guy. I'm a good GM. Why don't you like me? You know. But why? What's the value of that? I mean, to entice other players to come to the Chicago Bears, I, I don't get no, it. No, to make the fan base like buy in or something. Perhaps, right? yeah. Like, but I'm I'm just speculating. I don't know. Maybe sure. he did do that. Maybe it's just like you said. Maybe someone else wanted to offer more, and he was like, mm. "Khalil says no. He wants to go to Los Angeles to play for the Chargers." Yeah, I could see why that wouldn't infuriate anybody. But let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe we're looking for shit to be upset about no, at this point. I, I I agree with you. I am totally giving him the benefit of the doubt. I know that this is going to be a arduous process and there's going to be disappointments ahead because we're going to lose close games and we're going to say man if we had you know this guy that we could have signed or if we didn't trade that guy or something we would have won that game and that's going to be tough to swallow but i know that this is going to be a a a multi-year process to get us to the type of long uh, time winning a, a team that can has success over a long period of time. I know that's going to take a while and you have to, as many people in the chat room are saying, Ryan Pace left a mess and it has to be destroyed. And uh, as we've talked about before on this show, it, it when you destroy something and start rebuilding it, it can be messy. Now, we, if you don't mind me segueing into something quickly to sure. 
that we talked about off air. Mm-hmm. One of the things I that I sort of take umbrage with that, and I get it, he didn't draft Fields, but I don't like this narrative that seems to be out there that like Fields has to play at a certain level or they're going to give up on him. Like to me, especially if you feel like, okay, this is going to be two or three years or whatever your uh, your short-term expectations are, then you got to rally around him and say, this is my opinion. That you say, Justin, you're the guy. Let's go out. Let's play ball. You know, like we're going to give you the assets you need to, we're going to support you. I don't want to put all this pressure on him because, yeah, he played less than, you know, he was mediocre as, as fuck last year. I get it. But he also had that terrible coach and that horrific offense. So I don't want to pile that up on top of the year. Well, he's struggling right now. He struggled last year. I think last year he deserves what they call in the golf thing, like a mulligan. Yeah. Because because of what happened. So I want him to get a clean slate. But if you read the reporting, it seems like the suggestion is he could be gone after 22. And I just think that's crazy. Yeah. And my reply to you was, you know, if – Justin Fields doesn't show progress in certain areas, like, for instance, protecting the ball, uh, his throwing motion, getting rid of that loop, which could lead to interceptions because players can have that um, nanosecond to react to the ball as he's got the ball down by his waist and bringing it up as opposed to the correct way of doing it is not to have that loop. Uh, if he doesn't correct uh, certain certain mistakes that we saw in his rookie year, and we can blame that all on Matt Nagy, but yeah, if he doesn't correct those things, then you got to start to wonder, all right, is this really my franchise quarterback? Unfortunately, it's not like it was then when you and I, you know, really loved the NFL where quarterbacks sat for a while and they were given a long leash and, and stuff. Now it's like, man, you, you draft a quarterback in the first round, the expectations to become a star are almost immediate. And 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 that's not fair to the quarterbacks, uh, but that's that's the nature of the business. But he showed some though against oh, yeah. San Francisco and against Pittsburgh. He had some moments where you could tangibly say, aha, yes. look at that. That's the guy on film right there that we drafted. Yes. I, so I'm with I, you, brother. I think he's shown enough to where we should rally around him and tell him not to worry. Just go do your best. Yeah. And not put any extra pressure on him. I think if if you tell him he's the guy, and then he can just chill and, and play. And then he can show you he's the guy versus, oh, fuck, I better do this or do that or or I better meet this expectation or I'm gone. You know, I think that's a lot of pressure on him. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm with you 100%. He's definitely shown traits of being a super outstanding quarterback. I mean, right now in my mind, I'm, I'm playing the movie of him scrambling around and scoring a touchdown with his legs. I'm seeing him pinpoint passes that uh you know, other quarterbacks have difficulty or, or, or can't do. So, yeah, he's he's got the skills. It's just now of it being uh, consistent. And one of the ways it's going to become consistent is you've got to give him protection, consistent protection. This is Brad Biggs on uh, what do the Bears have to do at the offensive, with the offensive line. Oh, they've got to do more work there. I, you know, they, they've really have got to do more work there. They've, they've added one guy. Lucas Patrick, who's going to start for him at center, and they like him. Iberflus talked this morning about Eminem being really important uh, in terms of line play, both sides of the ball, and and uh, and he he wants uh, Eminem is a great motor, and he wants those guys being mean. Uh, and Lucas Patrick uh, fits that uh, perfectly for them, in in their opinion. 
Left tackle remains a, a big question mark. Uh, there's some around the league that believe that the Bears will be in market for a, a bridge guy, which is what they had to use last year when they had to go out and, uh, and uh, get uh, Jason Peters away from that fishing hole uh, somewhere <laughs> in Texas. Uh, so who's the bridge guy? You know, I don't, none of them are exciting. Uh, people uh, recognize the name Eric Fisher because he was a former number one pick at the Kansas City Chiefs, um, dealt with a peck injury last year. You know, you talk to scouts, you say, well, hey, could they go get Fisher? And, you, you know, you get these, uh, I don't think people are, are real high on him uh, anymore. We're, we're two weeks into free agency. You know, left tackles that you're going to uh, feel really good about aren't on the market uh, for a reason. But I, I think they could go out and sign a veteran there or they, they see, you know, how Jenkins and Borum look. You know, just like I talked about uh, a decision needing to be made on these linebackers when they see them on the grass. They need to see these offensive linemen on the grass. And let's remember, in terms of line play, they, they won't see those guys in pads until uh, training camp starts, guys. Back in 2020, Dan, I was uh, so uh, I was praying that Mitchell Trubisky would work out as the team's franchise quarterback, uh, even though I had little faith that he could be that quarterback. But I knew that if it didn't work out, then the Bears were going to have to start all over again. And and so I feel the same way now with Borum. And Jenkins, these two tackles who were drafted by Ryan Pace in the second and fifth round, Jenkins in the second round, Borm, I believe, in the fifth round, these guys have got to work out as the starting tackles. And if not, it's going to be, oh, man, you know, we've got to devote more draft capital. We've got to find uh, some free agents. And normally if those guys are free agents, they're either way too expensive, like an Armstead, or, you know, have injury histories and so forth. So I'm just praying that, you know, that these guys work out. But it doesn't sound like Ryan Poles is is very confident that they will, given some of his statements at uh, at the owners meeting. And um, and now there's talk that Jenkins will move over to right tackle because uh, Poles said that's what he played primarily in college. And that's what actually Danny Shimon on draft on tap has been saying. He's a right tackle. He's not a left tackle. But uh, Poles says that Borum played mostly left tackle in college, and he wants to see him there. So I'm praying that those will be our tackles for the next 10 years and that they become great friends with Justin Fields and our, their bodyguards. They don't, they don't let Fields out of his sight. Fields goes for, for a beer somewhere. <laughs> He's got Borum and Jenkins with him. Um, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I right? mean, that's like you. we've talked so much about the glory days of the Bears and and what did we have? We had five guys that would knock your fucking head off for, for even saying you didn't like Jim McMahon. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. you had the line loved him and, and even the reserves, Kurt Becker was his roommate. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's who his protectors were. And I, I get what you're just saying. It made me think of that with fields. That would be good. If like he suddenly had this, this line in place that, you know, you can build around this again, if you look at that championship, that line was together from like what 83 4 5 well 85s and Thayer came in but for the most part they started building in 83 and it was almost intact 9 10 years yep and that's so what I yeah want. that would be great if they could get some cohesive continuity mm-hmm. on the line i've been reading online again I, you just never know if it's like i don't want to single out a specific writer or a blog or you know 
you don't know how much credibility those kind of sites have where they claim to have sources. I agree. But someone keeps sharing articles saying that, that Ryan Poles doesn't like Borum. I'm not sure how anyone would know that yet, but yeah. that's the word around the campfire that Ryan Poles is not happy with Borum's tape. I mean, yeah. why would that have leaked out if there was any real validity to yeah. that? There's no way. And I and I, I think, uh, I wish somebody could provide a transcript of uh, all of Ryan Poles' comments. I, I haven't seen any video. I would have pulled video uh, or audio for uh, our show tonight, but I, I do think that based on some of the stuff I've read about Poles' comments is that there seems to be some hope that Larry Borum can play left tackle. And so if he doesn't like Larry Borum, then why would he even mention Larry Borum potentially playing on the left side? So I, I don't I don't know if that's true. Here's another comment. This one's from Dan Wiederer on the offensive line. And this maybe has fed <laughs> – you're always critical of Dan Wiederer because he's he's he can take a uh, – I think your word is pessimistic. He can take an orgasm and ruin it for you. <laughs> He's so negative. He'd be like, do you really need another blowjob? <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, I do. I, I, I don't agree. Uh, I don't agree. Uh, it's Leo Factor saying the Bears blog DBB is the person saying Pose is not impressed with Bowen. Well, you know. Well, the, I didn't want to call him out. Yeah. I mean, because so many people do. And as far as I know, the guy, I, I don't know the guy. Yeah. So I'm not saying he's making shit up, but I don't know the point of that, that story I viewed with a little bit of, you know, not disdain, but just like, really, I don't know how that's possible, but go ahead. Go on. Yeah, I, no, I, I agree with you. Some people uh, really think he has uh, access to Hallisaw some, and some people don't. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the guy. And, and uh, but be that as it may, this is Dan Weeder talking about uh, Pose's uh, approach towards building the offensive line. This is what should give you a little bit of an anxiety as you assess the situation. It's that the Kansas City Chiefs a year ago, coming off of that Super Bowl loss, were hell-bent on fixing their offensive line going into 2021, right? And so Ryan Poles and that front office spent their entire offseason a year ago trying to find every option they could, whether it was free agency, the draft, trades, whatever they needed to do to try to upgrade their offensive line. So that means Ryan Poles was dialed in on the evaluations of Tevin Jenkins, of Larry Borum, and he has yet to say anything that gives you a sense that he has strong belief that these guys are long-term starters for this program. So to your point, if you wind up 0-2 with picks that the previous regime made, and now you've got to do what we've long talked about being the major flaw of this organization, is constantly using resources to correct past mistakes, well, now here you are. The tires are spinning again. They're in the mud. You can't ever get any forward momentum going. And so we'll see. I know Ryan sort of said this week that he wants to see some of these players get out on the grass. He seemed to stress that, look, Kevin Jenkins primarily played right tackle in college. Would like to take a look at him there. Larry played a lot on the left side in college. Would like to give him a try there. That's a flip of sides from what we saw from the previous coaching staff and the previous regime last year. And so, again, this is part of the, the process when you're starting over You've got new eyes on everything, and they may not see things the way that the previous regime saw. Yeah, I'm not trying to be negative here. It's just that I've lived through this for so many years. The team, the Chicago Bears, trying to correct their mistakes. And so that's the job that Ryan Poles has, trying to correct the mistakes of the Ryan Pace era. But then you got these misses, the Ogunjobi thing, the Bates thing. You know, th those are 
not monumental mistakes, but it sort of fits the trend, you know, which is why you you kind of lashed out at polls regarding the, the Ogunjobi thing. Yeah, it just felt like a culmination of the last 20 plus years. Right. You know, so I want this guy to succeed. I like him. I like how he's presented himself. I like the fact that, you know, he's got fresh ideas where he comes from that where he came from, he worked with different people. So he got access to different styles. I'm a little bit still out on Eberflus, but I'm hopeful that he's going to be an outstanding coach. But man, the start of this whole thing, it's like, Oh man, another miss. Jeez. I tell you, I just thought in my head, the reason I don't like Dan Weeder, and uh, to make it succinct, uh -huh. it's not so much that he isn't a good writer. I won't take that away from oh, him because exactly. he's good at his trade. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reason I don't like him, it's like, if, for one, I think he hates his fucking gig. I really think he hates doing following the Bears and writing on the Bears. He thinks the Bears organization is terrible. And maybe it is. Uh, but that's one thing. But the, the main, it's like he's Steve Rosenblum light. Like he's always writing a little snarky, but if you call him out on it, he gets pissed off. At least Rosenblum would own that and tell you that was his stick. And I kind of think that that's what Weeder's thing is too. He's always, always pessimistic or pissed off or, you know, just calling the, the organization. Just, I just feel like if he would own that, that brand, I would almost be like, oh, okay. But he runs from it though. But that, to me, that's really who he is. See, I got a different take on that. I, I think he is just playing the sports journal, journalist, which is to be adversarial. You've got to ask tough questions. You've got to wonder about the tough scenarios. He's not a cheerleader for the Chicago Bears. Larry May. Oh, I agree. I agree with that. So he's got to take a journalistic approach, and I and I appreciate that. I want the tough questions. Um, you know, and and I think. If anything, you know, sometimes he sounds like a like like he's a little disappointed with the organization, and he's speaking on behalf of fans like me who are disappointed too that things aren't going as well as I'd like. Um, uh, Stephen, I mean, Nikisha, the sky's always falling with this guy, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's is what I'm saying. I can look for small victories, whether it be Nagy gone mm -hmm. or the hope for Fields to turn it around. Which is, if I had to give you a thesis to why I think this season can be better than what anyone else is predicting right now, it's Justin Fields. Mm -hmm. Because I do expect him to take a jump. I don't expect him to be Aaron Rodgers or make the Pro Bowl or anything tangible that I want to point to. Mm -hmm. But I do think he's going to ball out a little bit and going to show you the reason we drafted him. And I think that that's in itself can carry the team to two or three more wins than what we had last year. I, I agree. honestly believe that. Dan Weeder would never tell you that. Uh, maybe I don't know. Uh, Steven Nagisha says, like I said, I heard Weeder desperately wanted the ESPN gig after Jeff Dickerson's death, but he didn't get it, and now he's even more pissed. Ah. Who got the? Who's their beat writer on there now? Who, or, yeah, I don't know who is the ESPN beat writer. I think it's a woman, um, but I'm I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up. Maybe somebody uh, in the chat can help us. Well, that'd be good. Someone else to follow for fuck's sake. Yeah, four thousand. Brad Biggs uh, blocked me for no reason. <laughs> Brad can be a little sensitive sometimes. Uh, 4,000 Glover says, Weeder isn't shit compared to Rosenblum. LOL. Yeah, he's right. Rosenblum. Oh, uh, Courtney Cronin is, thank you, Stephen. Uh, Courtney Cronin has uh, was awarded that uh, ESPN job. Uh, and I'm, I'm well, not. look her up now. Yeah, I'm not familiar How with her. How does she spell work. Courtney? Uh, Courtney is C O U R T N E Y Cronin, C O R O N I N. 
Courtney Cronin. So good luck, founder. good luck to you, Courtney, at ESPN. Um, I got one more soundbite to play, and it is from Dan Wiederer. Uh, he was asked about trading down for more picks, uh, which is probably what all of us are expecting, although I do have to say this. I wouldn't mind it if they didn't trade any of those first three picks because to pick uh, three picks uh, in day two, that those are should be really good quality picks. But here's Dan Wiederer's take on that. I think they'd like to be, right? You always have to find willing trade partners. I think one of the things that Ryan sort of stated in adding that, that third day two pick in the MAC trade is it now allows you either to A, come out of night two of the draft with three players at a sweet spot on the draft board where you think, okay, well, these are three guys that can help us immediately and become long-term contributors to our franchise. Or, hey, we've got three picks. We can maybe trade one of these, still get two players on that day, maybe add an extra player, you know, pick or two on day three to help us add more bodies and more options to, to, to get some of these other picks and sticks. So there is some flexibility there, and I think, I think right now Ryan's in the mode of, of look, we got to add a lot of players at a lot of different positions so we have to explore the options that give us the, the, the ability to cast the widest net possible to bring in the most possible, uh, you know, potential contributors to our franchise to try to get this rebuild accelerated faster than, uh, than, than it seems to be at this point. Right now, I'm saying don't trade down. The, 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 you're, you're more likely to hit with three starters uh, by keeping those three picks on day two than you are – uh, trading one of those picks down for what two fifth round picks or fourth and a fifth round pick. I, I, I you know, you, you'll have to have that Ryan Pace good luck of hitting on fifth round picks to uh, to make that to make sense of that to me. What, what do you think about trading down for more draft picks? If you don't have your guy, you know, like the you always reference the Aaron Donald pick, yeah. Yeah. Like we were so close. We almost had him. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you had a guy like that, that you wanted, and then he gets drafted and you don't have someone else on the board that you love at your pick, mm -hmm. then maybe if you trade down, I, I get it, but I don't want him to trade down just to get more picks mm -hmm. in general. Uh, if you don't mind me segueing just a second. No, uh, please do it. It's your show. Buddy. I, well, no, it's your show. I, I, the lady, you just told me about the Courtney lady. Mm -hmm. I, just saw on her page is it is it a fact that the nfl has changed the overtime rule in, in postseason games yes that I both was. both teams get a possession like yes uh, i'm glad that was next thing on our uh, topic of things to talk about i actually did a little prep work for the show <laughs> i usually don't they just come on and talk to my buddy dan but i did a little prep work and uh yeah the uh new playoff overtime rules both teams will have the opportunity to possess the ball in overtime in the postseason only now if the score so if the opening team uh -huh. gets a touchdown the other team can match with a touchdown that's right and then it's sudden death correcto but uh, you're just asking for double overtime that way but okay yeah i mean that is to me it's weird i have a better solution but they go on to say with the new rule if the score is tied and this is from the nfl if the score is tied after each team has possessed the ball the next score wins now here's an interesting caveat if the team kicking off to start the overtime period scores a safety on the receiving team's initial possession, the team that kicked off is the winner, which to me makes sense. Right. So, you know, um, you, you, you kick off and the uh, 
the receiving team blunders and they they get tackled at the five yard line and all of a sudden here comes Robert Quinn in the Super Bowl game and he's not playing for the Bears <laughs> and he gets the safety and the game's over. Robert Quinn or Khalil Mack have won the Super Bowl for the team. Who was safety. it? <laughs> we won a game in against Tennessee in 04 on a safety. I'm wanting to say it was Michael Haynes that oh my busted draft pick that we had that may have been the winning tackler. I think you're right. His only highlight as a Chicago Bear. I should talk to Greg about that because I think Greg was the one that drafted him to the Bears. He was a huge disappointment. Big defensive. Yeah, that, that year they got they had two picks. They had uh, Michael Haynes and Rex. And Rex, which I thought was an, a good pick to pick him up late in the first round. And you talk about unlucky, you know, those injuries early in Rex's career really, really uh, impacted his career. Would you not agree? It did, but, you know, everyone wants to just give credit to the defense. Uh, but, you know, Rex still had to lead the team mm-hmm. uh, to the Super Bowl, and he did. And uh, he can always know that he did that. And even when people want to take cheap shots at him, like he, he was the one on a drive when the Saints game was in, in peril again that suddenly went like five for five and hit Barry and on a touchdown. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't greasy. It wasn't Orton. It was Rex, you know. So, and Rex led the drive to beat Seattle. It was a, a pass to Rasheed Davis mm-hmm. that set up Robbie's field goal. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Rex did okay, man. He was 21 and 14 as a starter, but no yeah. one will know that. You know? Yeah. And, and, you know, if you give him some more weapons, you know, who knows what, what could have happened with Rex Grossman. Laz said that he really likes the college football rules for overtime. I know you don't watch oh. a lot of college football, but you've seen enough to – to be familiar that shit with goes on forever like you have them at the 20 yard line <laughs> that's right the no game, i don't like that at all the game ends 14 to 14 and in the final overtime is 57 to 53 so something like that i'll tell you what here's my idea and, and i think everyone that i presented the idea to has as not everyone but the majority of people seem to think this could be a good idea the game continues you elongate the fourth quarter into sudden death if there's a tie. So, for instance, the uh, Bears are playing the Lions. The Lions uh, score a touchdown with 50 seconds to go. It's the Bears' ball now, um, and and the Lions have tied up the game. It's the Bears' ball now with 50 seconds to go in the game. They don't have just 50 seconds. It's now become sudden death. What do you think of that idea? So there's no well, coin flip. What? There's no coin flip. There's no kickoff. You just continue the game. The game continues. I get it instead of interrupting the drive. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, I like that. I do like that. And I mean, and nobody agrees with me on this, and I get it. I didn't mind the fucking sudden death. Mm-hmm. If you lose the coin toss, play defense. See, but that's the thing, Dan, is that the rules have changed so much in favor of the offense. You can't touch the quarterback. You you can't touch wide receivers downfield. So those rules have changed, and so it makes the overtime rule feel like it's out of date, in my opinion. What do you think? Well, I mean, that's an arguable point. So having said that, the adjustment that both teams touch the ball, unless you give up a touchdown, seems sufficient to me. Yeah. I, I I don't mind this new overtime rule, but 
you know, we're still going to have the same problem with regular season games. And so I like my idea maybe for, for regular season games. No, and, I like your idea. Yeah. I, I don't think that they should have changed the one, the overtime system to the one that they're adopting now. Yeah. I think it's more than fair to suggest that you stop the team from scoring a touchdown for you to get the ball. Mm-hmm. If they score a touchdown game over, I'm good with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not aware of anything else of significance that happened out of these owners meetings in terms of rules or anything like that. Um, did, did Courtney mention anything else in that story that you read? Uh, I, I closed it out. I can oh, pull no her, no her handle back up. Mm-hmm. I like Ravi's point here. He says, do like the XFL, put the ball in the middle of the field and make both teams run to it. I, I like that idea. You know, you put your, your basically your fastest guys at the 20 yard line and uh, the ball is at, I don't, I'm not sure the XFL did it exactly this way, but this is the essence of it. The ball is at the 50 yard line. Referee blows his whistle. Both players rush to get the ball. Whoever acquires the ball, it's that team's ball. Let's play football. First team to score wins the game. What do you think of that? I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no disrespect to anyone's opinion. No, I, <laughs> I, what, what don't you like about it? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. It just seems a little bit beneath the NFL to me. <laughs> it does. It, it is. Sometimes. It feels like, like a, like a middle school kind of thing. <laughs> It doesn't even feel like the XFL. It feels like some shit your eighth grade son would be doing. <laughs> it's peewee football. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It just doesn't feel like professional football to me, but I'm not trying to shit on anybody else. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. 4,000 Glover says, I love sudden death too, but like Aldo said, the rules are so in favor of the offense now. I think the other team's offense deserves a shot. Yeah, that's my problem, man. It's it's become so freaking easy. How many and the I think the stat that I saw today, there's been 12 uh postseason games recently in the offense that the team that has won the coin flip has won 10 out of those 12. It's something ridiculous like that. And so that just, you know, and by the way, uh, George McCaskey voted for the rule change. So uh, for whatever that's worth, Joe says, <laughs> Joe DeVille says, Dan is Debbie Downer. <laughs> He's not Debbie Downer. <laughs> I'm not. I'm telling you, I think the Bears can win games this year. Uh, that's right. <laughs> He's got me confused with Dan Weeder, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, we'll hey, talk- did you see John Fox is employed? What do you think about that? I mean, he took like a fucking decade off after the Bears paid him so much money. I guess he was like, I don't need money ever again until maybe he does now. Um, Well, he tried tried the broadcasting thing, and that clearly didn't work. And and I think we all knew it wouldn't. Yeah, his voice just isn't conducive to Mm -hmm. pleasurable responses from the audience, I think. I I think uh, John Fox, despite the voice quality issue, I think he would be better in a podcast format because he talks at length and, you know, like, like Greg Gabriel, Greg, his podcast is, is enjoyable to listen to because he ruminates, you know, he thinks about things. He'll, I'll ask him a question. He'll talk for two or three minutes and he's looking at issues from all sorts of different sides. And I think John Fox is more like that. He needs that kind of form of, of programming to have it a chance at success doing the network pregame stuff. You know, they would tell him, we're going to ask you this and you got 20 seconds to answer. I mean, that's not John Fox. He, he can't do that. But right, you, well, you I agree with that. I mean, he, he did 
as we know, he was on a staff that went to Super Bowl 35 mm-hmm. as a defensive coordinator with the Giants. He went to the Super Bowl with Denver and with Carolina. So he's gone to three Super Bowls. He's lost all three. But, you know, so the point is he's got some knowledge. You just oh, don't go yeah. to Super Bowl and you're a complete fucking idiot. Absolutely. So, yeah, to me, if you're the Colts and you hire John Fox, I mean, he's probably got something to give. Like, I don't want him calling the shots. Mm-hmm. But as I don't think he's the defensive coordinator. I don't know what he is. He's the assistant co. But to me, if he's helping out with the defense, he could probably do some good. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know that what they say about the NFL is a good old boy network. So he probably knows somebody over there that got him the job. But uh, you know, Chris Ballard. Yeah, that's right. It's Ballard. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you'll have any value. What we'll see. Um, you know, some of these teams. Um, Ah, I, I shouldn't say that because I don't know that for sure. But uh, hey, well, speaking of broadcasting, mm-hmm. it appears that Fox is going to hire Kevin Burkhart as their take uh, over for Joe Buck. Oh. He's previously been their number two, and he's been on the Major League Baseball Fox coverage as like the the pregame and mm-hmm. postgame, uh, you know, the studio host. Wasn't he the guy so, that was also going to work with Cutler? I think so a couple of years ago, but obviously, you know, Jay went back to the Dolphins or played with the Dolphins instead. Uh, But now it looks like he's, according to, uh, I forget what the source was, the New York Post maybe, Mm -hmm. someone had an article saying that they're in a negotiation right now Mm -hmm. to get the deal done Mm -hmm. to announce that he's the number one guy. Presumably he'll become Joe Buck on baseball as well. And now they say that it's, they're leaning toward Greg Olson is the number one analyst, but that part isn't settled yet. But the Burkhart thing is settled except for the actual contract. Mm, interesting. Somebody just put up on the screen that Johnny Knox is going to be on Fox Sports. Is that local, Zach? Uh, Zach put that up. Is that local or national? Let me uh, do a quick Google search myself. Uh, Johnny, is it two H's? John, John Fox. <laughs> Let's try John. <laughs> oh no 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 johnny knox i'm sorry i got confused johnny knox went to fox sports i uh, don't uh, yeah special report john knox no i don't see this former i don't really remember knox talking that much when he when he was a bear so i don't know if he has personality or not yeah he's a good looking guy he's telegenic but yeah i don't i don't see a report on that is he still walking with a limp um you know when i saw him uh he was signing autographs at soldier field so he he wasn't walking around uh but he looked uh he looked healthy and uh you know, he's got those piercing blue eyes, I want to say, if I remember correctly. He's a good-looking guy. He'd be perfect for TV. Uh, but, yeah, I never really heard him talk a hell of a lot. So, who knows? All right. Um, before we bring the Tooch in here, why don't you and I uh, talk a little bit about the incident at the Oscars. Um, first of all, it, it's sad that it happened because th- I thought was watching the Oscars with my wife that day. We don't watch it every year, but we decided, hey, you know, it's Sunday. Why don't we watch one of the nominated movies? And we did. It was Dune. We enjoyed it. And uh, then we started watching the show, got into it. Um, it had a, a lot. The show had a lot of personality, had some good laughs with the three women who co-host. And then the incident happened with uh, Chris Rock saying a joke that was, uh, uh, I think we can say inarguably, 
insensitive towards uh, Will Smith's wife, uh, Will, though, his immediate reaction was to smile or maybe even laugh at the joke. But on that same shot where we saw that, um, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith kind of rolled her eyes. And, and then the next shot is back at Chris Rock. And then they cut to a wider shot. And here comes Will Smith very deliberately walking towards Chris Rock and he smacks him in the face. And my wife said, wow, that, that, that look, that isn't, that isn't funny. Why did they do that? And I go, honey, I don't think this is a joke. I think this is serious. And then when, when uh, the, uh, the U S feed, of course, bleeped out all of the harsh language Will Smith then said when he sat down. Uh, but it was clear then that this was not a joke. What do you, what were your thoughts? It was actually you who uh, I saw first on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I think I texted you immediately. I was like, is this shit real? That's right, you did. <laughs> yeah, because I was either watching Winning Time or the Uber show. I think I was watching the Uber show mm -hmm. at the time of that occurred. And I just couldn't believe it was real. So then I found very quickly the the live uncensored footage with the Japanese interpreter. Right. And... So I didn't know the backstory from a couple of years ago before then, but I've got to see all of that within the context of 2022. Mm -hmm. And I just, I thought it was terrible. Like I know so many, I'm not trying to make this political, but it's just like so many right wingers are like cheering this. I don't, I don't know what the correlation is with that. Like you gotta be tough. Like Donald Trump was tough. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people acted like he was like a UFC fighter or something when, you know, he's a 350 pound guy, you know, but you, you know what I'm saying? It's like that aura of toughness. Yeah. So they're like, he's talking about my woman. I'm going to slap him. You know, yeah. like, right. like th that's the kind of, that's the reason I don't like to drink in bars because there's always an asshole like that. Like you don't even have to be looking at his female, his companion, his wife, what have you. And they're, they're ready to fight because yeah. they think you're staring at them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, go ahead, please. I was just going to say, can you imagine like, you remember like, uh, Kramer from Seinfeld had that terrible thing where he was like dealing with the hecklers uh, mm -hmm. years ago and screamed the N-word at him and all that. And that was, don't get me wrong, that on his part was way over the top. But usually it won't come to something like that because if you got someone that's so aggressively heckling a comedian, usually you're tossed out. Mm -hmm. And... For this to occur to like, okay, you don't like the joke. You, they wouldn't even let you heckle him if you tried to. If you just started talking shit from there, they would, even if it was Will Smith, I think they would stop it. Mm -hmm. But then he goes on stage and is allowed, and you can tell from my opinion, Chris Rock has got a nervous smile on his face because he doesn't know what's about to happen. But I don't think he, in, in any of his wildest imagination, thought he was about to be assaulted. Mm -hmm. So he's just kind of like, mm -hmm. Ooh, what's this all about? And then he gets slapped, you know, and you could tell he's rattled based upon his reaction at first. He's stumbling over his words. He he uh, resets the best he can, showing that he's a pro. But man, I, I just, I can't believe this was allowed to happen. Now, I saw Jim Carrey said today, if it were him, he would sue Will for $200 million right off the top because this doesn't go <clears> away <throat> for Chris Rock ever. Right. The pain from the cheek goes away or the, the face, you know, by, you know, Thursday or Friday, he'll be tip top from that. But just knowing he's the guy like the rest of his life, the Will Smith fucking bitch slapped mm -hmm. on TV. You know, if you're not going to press charges when he's, he isn't, I agree with Carrie. Like you should come up with something out of that man and fuck him. 
Cliff Victoria says, one of the memes had The Rock making the joke and Will Smith laughing instead. And I've seen other people speculate, if it was a white comedian up there, would Will Smith have gotten up and done the same thing? And, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to stress on making this political or about race or anything like that. But it does seem to me that um, there are instances where he's Will bigger than Chris Rock. Yeah, exactly. Uh, besides of race. But if it had been the guy that played Aquaman. Yeah, Jason, Jason Momoa. Yeah. Yeah, is, he gonna, is he going to argue with him? I don't know. <laughs> I agree with that. I, I was disappointed, too, at the reaction by a lot of people. My wife and I have been startled by re the reaction of people from different political persuasions, uh, people of, of, uh, of diverse backgrounds and so forth, standing up for Will Smith and, you know, saying, yeah, if somebody's making fun of your medical condition, you deserve to get slapped in the face. And my wife and I are just like uh, dumbfounded that, you know, this type of uh, aggressive behavior is still exists in, in our society where, and again, like you said, you know, the fact that he wasn't escorted out and the Academy has said, well, that would have created more confusion. We were just interested in keeping things going. And the, yeah, they let him just sit back down, like nothing happened. Right. And then he wins the award later. And it's like, Everyone's cheering him and forgetting the fact of what he had just done. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. And if I was the Academy, they, they, there was at least what, 45 minutes to an hour before the best actor award was announced and the, uh, uh the incident, I would have uh, a member of the Academy should have gone to Will Smith and said, listen, if you win the award, you're not allowed to come back on stage. Uh, the presenters will say something, you know, on your behalf and, and that's it. Th there should have been some repercussions, but to allow him to go back on stage and then he's not man enough to apologize to Chris Rock and instead uh, he has subsequently, of course. Yes. But, you know, to apologize but, you know to that's a PR firm telling him to do that. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, to apologize to, the Academy, you know, just to me, uh, speaks is saying, please don't take my award away. Exactly. From me. Exactly. It's a, it was a very selfish thing to do. And I can, I can understand Listen, you know, I, I I've reacted in violent ways too. And so, uh, if people know anything about some of the stuff that I've done in the past, they would say, well, fuck, Fuck all that you're being a hypocrite. Yeah. No, but you weren't at a, at the Academy Awards. Well, yeah, the situation is a bit different. <laughs> it wasn't that. I mean, if you lost your decorum at a fucking bar, that's one thing. Then, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say it's equivalent to church, but it's a very formal gathering. Right. You know, there's no there's no place for someone to be that uncouth. I, I agree. I, I frankly have been rattled by the whole thing. You know, it's not just the slap, but you know the again when you sent me that video from the japanese feed and the words that he used you know keep my your, my wife's name out of, out your, of your fucking uh, mouth yeah know, just the God. anger behind that you know and uh and then the and it the, seems so like out of place because like you said he smiled before right and he and then got a reputation and, of being such a great guy and he wants to be you know a love guy and i you know i want to bring people together it's like what are you doing you know <laughs> that doesn't make any sense it, it's it, I, I'm really, you know, crossing lines here by suggesting this, but I, I don't know for sure. Nothing I'm saying right now is a fact, mm -hmm. but reportedly she was dating an 18 year old or 19 year old on the side mm -hmm. and wanted, uh, the poly lifestyle mm -hmm. right. reportedly. Right. 
And reportedly, he w- just wanted her mm-hmm. and wasn't necessarily down for that. And maybe, he, maybe he thought I can impress her and show her how much I love her. Yeah, I don't know. I think I I don't know if it was impressed, but I think he clearly loves her very much because she did have an extramarital relationship. She's got a Facebook show called The Red Table, and uh, she had him on where they spoke openly about this issue where she had uh, what she referred to as an entanglement with an R&B singer, a relationship that, according to the R&B singer, and I apologize, I don't have his name right in front of me, but that relationship lasted quite a while. And uh, during the course of that interview, she did admit she she did replace the word entanglement with relationship. And this guy went out and uh, wrote a hit record called Entanglements. And in the lyrics, I read the lyrics, I should have pulled them up, but they were basically about, yeah, we entangled in between the sheets. Yeah, baby, I gave it to you really deep. You know, lyrics like that. Oh. And so can you imagine... This guy is writes this song about your wife, and so maybe that the, there's this misplaced anger towards Chris Rock. And again, I'm not I'm not condoning the joke. It was it was it was out of place. You shouldn't do that. He should have done research. It was an ad lib, by the way. I've learned that there was an ad lib, so the Academy did not hear it in rehearsals. Maybe. Somebody would have uh, uh, corrected him on that, informed him that that's out of place. But well, like Howard Stern said, though, I listened to Stern talk about this. He uh-huh. said, "Okay, so I get it. You know, the hair condition there, but the comparison is, oh, you could be Demi Moore." He's like, "It's not like he was comparing her to a very unattractive woman." Yeah. He was comparing her to one of Hollywood's a a list actors of the 1990s and a woman that was goddamn hot. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, he's saying she could be Demi Moore in GI Jane too. It's not like he was saying she was a skank or unattractive or the comparison to Demi Moore isn't like an insult, is what Stern was saying. Yeah, it, uh, to me, it wasn't an insult. Maybe it's a little bit insensitive because people who, women who suffer from this, it, it is a serious disease. You know, I don't. Yeah, my buddy hair. John's wife ha- has it, and she, every day we go somewhere, or they not, they're not with me all the time, of course. But mm-hmm. if you go out of town, that you're going to get that question or that look. Every day of her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I and you know also lose the hair, on be- your eyebrows. You know, you lose other facial hair. It's just not the the hair on top of your head. So you know, that can, for anybody, that would be what. Whoa, this is this is scary. But for a woman, you know, that's something you don't expect to happen to a woman. Hair loss. Um, so it's it's. I don't know, man. It's it's a complicated thing. It did rattle me a little bit. I hate to see somebody who I had respect for, Will Smith, behaving that way. I hate to see Chris Rock being smacked that way. Like you said, this is going to impact his career. Although ticket sales for his concerts, I read, have gone up. So people want to hear what he's got to say. And if he's wise, hear- he'll just stay quiet until he does his first concert. <laughs> I can't wait to hear like what Chappelle says about this. Mm-hmm. Or someone that literally doesn't give a fuck about rattling your cage kind of thing, like a comedian that'll tell you where you're shooting from, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I really am looking forward to what Chappelle said. I, I still think yeah. Jim Carrey had the most poignant thing that I've heard anybody say. I agree. It's mm-hmm. like, man, if I were Chris Rock, I would have sued him Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Hey, just pop into our uh, screen here. His name is Johnny Sanducci. Johnny. <laughs> oh, hi, guys. Hi, how are you? What's your take on this whole uh, Will Smith uh, conundrum? I tell you, if if, uh, if I would have known someone was going to get slapped, I'd be watching the Oscars every year. <laughs> hey, you know, real quick, that's a that's a, a narrative that we should discuss too. Is that a lot of people think it was staged? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. right. And still, there were, I saw a couple comments in in uh, in Slack that uh, some people said that it's staged as fuck. I I don't believe it was. This this is just not a good look for uh, Will Smith. Uh, this might no. impact his career. This might impact some people wanting to work with him. This uh, this is this is a black eye for his career. I mean, somebody on the radio said, you know, uh, this will always be written up as Will Smith, uh, who won his first Oscar the same night that he bitch slapped Chris Rock. And, you know, that's that's going to be in the first paragraph of everything that uh, is written about Will Smith of his obituary. So it's uh, uh, PJ says the topic is truly the, the hot topic. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm sad that it is because you know what happened immediately after that Questlove won an award for best director. And my wife and I were talking about the incident and we missed the, uh, this inspiring speech by Questlove. And, and it was sad that it did because on the news the next day, um, uh, I forgot what station they did a highlights of all the non-controversial stuff. And it was a damn good show. There was a lot of cool stuff that happened, but, um, uh, Oh, and PJ says he's talking about the medical condition, uh, wearing glasses are a medical condition. Yet people feel free to talk about people who wear glasses all the time. Yeah, but it's not, you know, wearing glasses and hair loss. I would say those are two separate things. It's just a much more accepted, you know, um, <laughs> Uh, I make fun of Matt Nagy for being bald all the time, so I should shut <laughs> up and hold my head in shame. Matt, Matt Nagy is going to come up uh, and slap you up there in West Virginia. <laughs> Here he comes. Open, open hand, open palm. I'll deserve it every second of it. <laughs> if that happened, Dan, would you punch him back? Yes. I would say, damn, Matt Nagy just slapped the shit out of him. <laughs> I would expect you to to protect yourself at all times. <laughs> anyway, anytime Matt Nagy is in the uh, in the house. But yeah, that, uh, comedians have been saying it. Do I have to be worried now when I make a joke that somebody's going to come up on stage and beat the shit out of me? And, and there's some yeah. truth to that, yeah. right? I mean, uh, Bill Maher has been talking about this for a long time. You know, free speech in this country is not not no longer is no longer free because there are so many consequences uh, involved with this. So it's going to be interesting to see you know, what Bill's take on this is going to be. Um, Cliff says hair loss for a woman has to be a terrible thing. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, any, any more thoughts you have on this whole uh, topic here? Yeah, a few sure. thoughts. Um, well, I tell you, the internet is forever. That's what I love about the internet because mm -hmm. I saw recently somebody had put uh, a clip of uh, Will Smith making a joke about a bald guy. Oh, really? Ninety-four or something like that. It's like okay, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my my first reaction was that it was crass and uncivilized, and mm -hmm. you know, Will Smith should be above this. And then, how uncomfortable was that acceptance speech afterwards? After you caused a a global commotion, you know, and if I, if I was Chris Rock, I'd probably file a lawsuit, you know, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd turn it into a payday because 
yeah, like you said, he's always going to be the guy that was bitch slapped on the Oscars in front of millions and millions of people. You know, it's yeah. it's terrible. You know, yeah. it's uh, it it's definitely a, a blow to the psyche. I, I thought he handled it very well. I thought the best thing Will Smith probably could have done and should have done was to talk to Chris Rock after the Oscars. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. it isn't it's not the time or place. Right. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But yeah. I, I told my wife, you know, uh, 10, 15 minutes afterwards, it would have been cool if Will would have walked up on stage, grabbed the mic and said, listen, perhaps you don't know that my wife uh, suffers from a loss condition called, uh, and I always alopecia. mispronounce it, alopecia, and that it causes this, 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 and this. And so I think you're very incentive, and I wish you would have done research into the situation before you you, you say a joke like that, particularly in front of the entire world. So I think my wife deserves an apology and then walk off the stage. To me, that is a much more manly approach to this situation. It's civilized. Um, it's civilized. You know, uh, somebody said, you know, we teach our, our kids to fight with words. And uh, so why can't Will Smith have done the same thing? Why couldn't he yeah, use yeah. the words? to fight back um, a lot of a lot of the problem is hollywood itself it glorifies violence you know mm-hmm. will smith personified it at the oscars walking up and being violent you know mm-hmm. we're, we're not i mean it, what we're what we should be doing is helping to separate the uh the fantasy of violence that is prevalent in movies today mm-hmm. you know and allow uh allow it to remain as fantasy and not bring it into an actual real life situation as will smith did that's mm-hmm. the that's the tragedy of the situation, right? And I read an article again. I don't know the the truth to it that allegedly Chris Rock had given some kind of interview on a podcast a couple of months before, where he said that in his life he felt that he let people walk on him because he was so afraid to be called, you know, angry black man or what have you. So he a lot of times felt like he allowed people to get away with either taunting him or. Or he just felt like he took the butt of everyone's joke before and just allowed that to happen. So the, ironically, is he that they're mad at his joke now, but again, it still perpetuates what he said, that he just always has to take when somebody does something to him. He he has to just fucking shut up and take it. Well, so, and, and, But there's been evidence of him not doing that. I, he was at a uh, an event where a reporter uh, kissed him on the lips and will smith slapped him in the face i don't know if you guys recall that but there's no, also... i was talking about chris not will oh chris my Rock. bad my bad i apologize no, uh, i remember that although he had to take it whenever somebody did something to gotcha. him gotcha oh no that makes it even worse for the poor guy jeez i know it oh isn't it God. isn't it though that is awful pj said uh that as a black man what were the exact words? As a black man, he's embarrassed by this. This was embarrassing. Uh, those are PJ's exact words. And I got to say, you know, that crossed my mind, too, because th- this was ammunition for certain people who are always uh, trying to point out people of color's faults, you know. And, uh, you know, you talk about when we talk about problems in the black community, Usually, you know, people turn that around immediately and start talking about black on black crime. And uh, so but I haven't seen that, although I haven't been looking at certain media uh, sites that have used race uh, in this situation. But I I do understand PJ's uh, PJ's 
feelings there. You know, you, you're feeling proud that, you know, you've got this worldwide known comedian up on stage and another worldwide globally known actor and who's who is the odds on phrase, favorite to win the best actor award. And then this situation happens in front of millions of people. Yeah, it's not good. I, I'd be upset about it if uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and, and, uh, and Penelope Cruz, had that, that's not a good example, but uh, first thing that came out of my mind. Um, but if two Hispanic well, stars had a, had a cat fight on stage. And then I'm, I'm not just saying this because I happen to be white. I'm just, because I mean, technically Apatow's Jewish and not just a regular white fuck like me. But then people were coming after Judd Apatow. I saw that. I, I think I thought I sent you the clip. That yeah, you did, and then I went into it, and there were a lot of people saying that like you know, white people aren't allowed to speak on this, that it was prejudice just to comment on it. So it's like, like Morris said, there's a like a chilling effect on free speech in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, Mac. Uh, excuse me. Mark says it's also offensive to the winners. A lot of young and unknown people won Oscars this year. Instead of their achievement, the focus is on this incident. You're absolutely right, Mark. You're absolutely right. It, it is. It is. Nobody's going to remember that a film uh, named Coda uh, that was about a hearing impaired, a hearing impaired family. Uh, and so you sign language throughout the movie won the best actor uh, Oscar award. That's just not going to happen. It, it, people won't remember. Unfortunately, it's sad. All right. Uh, did you have one more thought on this uh, too, Chuck? Because you said you had several. Uh, you know, not 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 any more than what I've already said. I mean, let, let's just remove race from the from the equation, and it's still an unnecessary act of violence. Very true. Well said. Very very true. But having said that, <laughs> this just popped into my mind. What other uh, <laughs> Academy Award bitch slaps would you like to see? <laughs> in the future if we could have a little fun with this very serious topic but wouldn't, wouldn't you like to see uh i don't know uh uh somebody bitch slap uh what's the what's the guy's name now i i'm drawing a blank uh everyone was calling mel gibson to be bitch slapped <laughs> see, he are you talking about chuck norris hello no uh steven seagal steven seagal oh. <laughs> he's become such an irritant uh to uh hollywood and and to people he's just a he's become a weirdo now you know so somebody bitch laughed him think, uh, he's a russian uh, citizen now i think is he a russian citizen oh my god i believe so <laughs> i think uh, uh, uh yeah, harvey weinstein has probably owed a bunch of slaps oh but, yeah there you go <laughs> he's probably getting if a we bunch could, of, if no, it might be a long line of slaps you know, <laughs> exactly. if, <we're> <laughs> if we could take this farther to the grammys next week yeah Sure. Not that this gentleman would be at the Grammys because he hasn't had a hit since 1998, but suddenly is uh, on some kind of pedestal because of politics. I would love to see Kid Rock get bitch slapped. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Please shut that fucker up. He hasn't had a hit in 25 years, but yet suddenly he's relevant just because he, you know, he hates Joe Biden. I know. It's crazy. And he's so pretentious. It his really look, is. his look in like 1990 was like MC Hammer, <laughs> yeah. and again grows up as a rich white guy, mm -hmm. and he, he then suddenly you know he's from the inner cities, from the hood, he's a pimp, mm -hmm. then suddenly he's a redneck, yeah. from the south who lives in a trailer. It's just like what image does he project that's real? Either way, he's pretentious on either one. <laughs> yeah. He's just a dude that grew up soft and and wealthy, yeah, made in the shade. 
Dan has to remember this. Andy Kaufman slapping Jerry Lawler on late night. They, they yeah, well, I was a kid, but I've, I've seen it. I know the whole story, of course. And that was staged. That was staged. That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah, because that led to their wrestling angle and stuff. That is right. Man, but he slapped him, but good. <laughs> oh, man. That was not a fake slap, but the, uh, the incident was staged for sure. Um, somebody said that Kanye West would be a good guy to get, get bitch slapped. <laughs> By the way, PJ he makes and it, Taylor Swift, both yeah, of them. Uh, 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 Taylor Swift or Kim Kardashian? Well, I was just saying Taylor Swift because he interrupted her at that oh, award show in 09. You're not a and Taylor again, Swift fan? No, but if someone hit her, I'd want it to be another woman, not a man. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't like Taylor Swift. And yet the Kardashians, I, it's just, it's amazing how like suddenly I'm feeling bad for Kim because of the way, like Kanye is literally harassing this woman. If you told me like five months from now, he was going to murder her this summer, like, I mean, I could see that happening. Yeah, yeah. This it, dude is really unstable. It, yeah, it, it. All signs are pointing to that this has become a very dangerous situation, and uh, something should be done about it. Hopefully, those people who are you know close in Kanye's camp are helping him and getting getting him the help help that he needs. PJ said, "I wanted to. What was that PJ thing? Uh, oh, the Ricky Jervis. I mean, the jokes that Ricky Jervis has made at the." Um, What's the name of that show, uh, Tooch? Uh, the Golden Globes. Golden Globes. I mean, he has, holy shit, the jokes he's made about celebrities. I'm surprised, you know, that he will ever go up on stage again. <laughs> if This is going to be a, a trend. You can't make jokes about people or you're going to get slapped. <laughs> that is not good. Jordan Silveria says, uh, is it bad I want to bitch slap Matt Nagy or perhaps Ryan Pace? No, Jordan. <laughs> Not. <laughs> There's a long line for that too. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. All right, you guys. Uh yeah. we are yeah. at 915, 920. Want to close the chapter on this one and talk about something else? Yep. Yep. Let's do it. The is it time for uh, uh Bear State of Affairs? Oh yes, dude. Bear State of Affairs. We need a theme song for this or something, but uh, uh, take it away, buddy. Yep, looking for it. Is it still oh, in here? The bear coming. Hold on. <laughs> Did we lose it? Uh, Maybe da, da, not. Da. There it is. Okay. State of affairs <laughs> with your pal Tooch. So, like, you know, I was I was doing comments in the chat room, right? And everybody's like, oh, Bowles is the worst. You know, it's like, oh, he's made so many mistakes and all this stuff. Let me just remind you of a few things mm -hmm. from our past. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Read that out for our audio podcast. That's this is a quote from Ryan Pace. Mike Glennon is our starting quarterback, and we are fired up about that. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be glad we're not back there. We're not really? here. Here's another oh, one. Andy Dalton QB one. Here's uh here's another good one. Oh, I'm uh, GM Ryan Pace quote, that's how we see Andy Dalton as a starting quarterback. <laughs> Who, by the way, was signed for about seven million dollars less today than he got from the Chicago Bears. <laughs> Ryan Where'd Pulse, he go? Ryan Pulse looking better every day. 
He's the backup with uh, yeah, New Orleans Saints. The Saints, yeah. We kind of traded backups with the Saints. Yeah, that's right. We got Trevor, we Simeon, got Trevor Simeon and they got Dalton. I don't know who got the better of that battle, but <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Because, you know, yeah, I would yeah. take Simeon all day. Yeah. Okay. Me too. Me too, but the, we probably pay, overpaid Simeon too. I haven't seen the contract details, but it, it, it worries me that we, we tend to give backup quarterbacks in Chicago a hell of a lot of money. Yep, just wanted a little trip down memory lane for Bears State of Affairs today. <laughs> that, that is true. And, you know, and yeah, you know, I spent the first hour of the show or so just kind of lamenting, you know, the, the setbacks that uh, Poles has, but I'm still hopeful that yeah, this yeah. is the guy this is the real deal ryan poles uh just because there's been these setbacks doesn't mean that he isn't going to bounce back and make some good signings and stuff all it means is that we are uh going to start a little slower than we anticipate unless we get really super lucky in the next few weeks with some free agent gems that we don't know or, you know when we signed akeem hicks who the hell knew that he was going to be one of our favorite bears of all time uh so um, and then, uh, of course, the draft could yield some really great pieces for this team. So, but and 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 Dan, I think maybe says it all when he when he talks about the leap that Justin Fields could take in this year, and and just his leap alone could get us into postseason play. And that, I think that's a, a point worth mentioning over and over. Again. I think we all have to to hope that that's plausible. And I don't think it's pie in the sky. I mean. This guy was a first-round pick. Mm -hmm. He's in his second year. He can't go any farther down than year one. Mm -hmm. Peyton Manning had a shitty first season. His second year, he went to the second round of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it it happens. I'm not trying to say he's going to be Peyton Manning, but in 1999, Peyton Manning wasn't Peyton Manning yet. Mm -hmm. In terms of, has he done anything in the league? No, it was all you know, it was all what could be, you know, potential and fields has that potential. So let's go. Yeah. I got a graphic up here. Uh, let me find it. Uh, let's see. It is the bears of free agent signing since the free agent yeah. period started. There were a few. I was going to bring this out too. Uh, Aldo. Yeah. Why don't you go over that and tell us what your impressions are of these players and make sure uh, you articulate it for the folks on audio. I, I, I see a pattern, Aldo. <laughs> <laughs> second stringer, second stringer, second stringer. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of guys nobody heard of. <laughs> but hey, uh, let's trust the plan. Maybe they're uh, ascending players. But, you know, the, the bottom line is that none of these guys are, are, are going to uh, bring any excitement or, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not uh, selling season tickets with this list. Uh, no, you're agents. absolutely right about that. There are no name players here. And we do really, you know, Ogunjobi was the closest one for those yeah. people who, who follow football closely. They know that guy would have would have been a great acquisition for the Bears. Uh, and if they know anything about what that three tech does for the cover two uh, defense, you know, that was an exciting signing, but unfortunately it didn't work out because of the medicals. But yeah, Lucas Patrick at the center position, Dakota Dozier, who played with the Vikings, and uh, he's he's really not a starter. Byron Pringle is a guy who could really be that kind of player Pose has been targeting. The guy who is looking for a chance to be a starter. He's shown flashes as a backup uh, with Kansas City. 
this guy could come in here and establish a uh, and become the number two with Darnell Mooney being number one, or maybe even uh, opposite. Equinemius St. Brown, you know, this is a, totally a Luke Getze signing. He he knows him and he knows yeah. what he can do. He's a super fast guy, uh, so perhaps he'll uh, earn a roster spot and, and and score some touchdowns for this team. And then uh, Kari Blazingame, it means that the fullback is back in Chicago, and I'm glad to see that. Justin Jones was signed immediately after the Ogan jo- Joby thing. He's not Ogan Joby, but he could probably play that three tech at an effective level. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if a three tech defensive tackle fell to the second round and the Bears went that direction uh, to compliment yep. uh, Justin Jones. The Al Quadin Mohammed defensive end, there's enough tape on him to show that this guy is going to be a solid starter. And Nicholas Morrow, the linebacker, I think he's a solid starter too. Although it's interesting that Ryan Poles didn't commit to Morrow being the middle linebacker. Uh, actually, I think that w- what he said specifically is that they have not made a determination what position Roquan Smith will play, middle linebacker or at weak side linebacker. So I don't know, you know, what the plan is there, but there, there's some good signings there. There's no doubt about it, but there, there's not. As as Tooch rightfully said, you know, I'm not calling the ticket office and saying, "Hey," or or StubHub and paying five hundred dollars for a one hundred dollar value seat. So I still can sign me out here. Team. Yeah, Dan, what were you to say? I still think the 22 team it could be as just as good as the 21 team, if not better, but definitely. Definitely more fun to watch, mm-hmm. more entertaining than having to put up with Matt Nagy. Mm-hmm. Again, call me a, a some people call me a pessimist, <laughs> but I think with regards to the Bears, I'm optimistic. I truly, and it's not just me placating myself. I think even if they they lose a few more games than last year, it's going to be better in the short term and in the long term to be with Matt Nagy. Oop, did we lose Dan? I think we lost no, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, there it is. Okay. Yep. You're back now. I was just saying that I thought that it's going to be better without Nagy. It can't be any fucking worse. Oh, <laughs> Addition by subtraction, Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody asked about uh, Darrington Evans, the running back from the Titans. He uh, is a member of the Chicago Bears, uh, but he was a waiver pickup. He wasn't a free agent signing, which is why he wasn't on that list. Which yeah, I got from Blossom uh, was tightened as well, running yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Darrington Evans is it really a, a an interesting guy to keep an eye on because apparently he's got some outstanding speed and he's the type of guy, definitely not going to beat out David Montgomery or Khalil Herbert uh, as a one-two punch for this Bears uh, uh, running back tandem. But if any of those guys goes down. Evan, Evans could be a really good replacement, and if he runs that outside zone uh, as well as like Khalil Herbert, you know he could be one of those guys that immediately people will start saying. So this, people saw saw a Herbert break open a few runs. People were already trading David Montgomery, uh, but it was heartening to hear. Uh, Dan, you probably don't know this, but uh, Eberflus and Poles again spoke very very highly of. Uh, David Montgomery, and in particular, Eberflus said he is the absolute type of guy that we want 
on our team, culture-wise, hardworking, what he does with the ball in his hands and stuff. So uh, we were talking last week about extending Montgomery's oh, yeah. contract. You know, based on what I heard today, that might be on the table. Uh, we might see that happen even before Roquan Smith. So we'll see. What What do you think the downside of Roquan is from their perspective? Um, I don't think that there – I can't imagine there being a downside. I can't imagine. I think that the only thing that might – uh, be stopping thing is the unorthodox way that he handles his contract. I think with his uh, mom handling negotiations and stuff. So uh, I, I think the one polls quote on that is that we're in no hurry. We, we know we'll get it done. Um, but I think a lot of media members are like, you know, raising an eyebrow. Is this going to be as easy to get done as you think, you know, um, it it is interesting. I mean, this Ryan Poles has a lot of experience, and and but but do you guys think that these two setbacks, two or three setbacks that he's had early on, is just a measure of his inexperience as the head guy, or uh, or it's just bad luck? Pause. No, I didn't know if you were throwing it to me or to two. Uh, I'll say that you'd like to say that it's going to be bad luck. But you're going to have to show me something first. So as of right now, I'm going to say like, oh, you just kind of you got burned on the stove. It's your first time, you know, being the head guy mm -hmm. and that inexperience is, is showing itself. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you can't become an experienced professional GM that goes to a championship. But there's some training wheels involved first. Mm hmm. Uh, Aaron Curran, uh, regarding the Roquan situation, saying that he, they probably want to see how he fits into the 4-3 scheme. Boy, I can't imagine that he wouldn't be an outstanding fit for that weak side linebacker where you don't or have Or even to. the Erlacher spot. Yeah, exactly. He's got that speed, man. He could do the same thing as Brian, like run back. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, like, you know, backpedal and, 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 and cover people. Like, couldn't you see uh, Roquan doing that? Absolutely. I think he could be better at it than Brian Erlacher. I really do. Um, you know, it, it's it's really interesting that there's a lot of similarities between Roquan Smith and Brian Erlacher. You know, and that they were sideline to sideline players, but could also drop back and be that third safety. Erlacher played safety at New Mexico State. Uh, Roquan has never, that I know of, played the safety position, but we know he's got the skills to drop back and and, and cover the middle of the field. Um, and then the one drawback with each of those guys is that you can run right at them and they'll have some trouble. Earl Acker couldn't tackle Jerome Bettis. I don't think uh, – um, I don't think Roquan couldn't tackle Tom Brady either. <laughs> That's right. You remember he oh got faked God. out of his fucking jock by Brady. The most one of the most embarrassing moments of, uh, that I've witnessed as a Chicago Bears fan was that moment when Tom Brady did that to uh, er yeah. Erlacher, and then that, come that fake was in slow motion too. It was like I know all the, all the audience in the stands and at home on TV saw it coming a mile away. It's like <laughs> that's what made it so shocking to I me. Know. So I think I could have, you know, at least got a hand on him. <laughs> so I don't know. But uh both of those guys, you know, it, when 
when Rokon was at Georgia, the game plan in that bowl game that he played on was to run right at him, and it was effective. And uh, I haven't seen a lot of that in the NFL, but I have seen some of it. And you know, so I think that both of those players are similar from that perspective. But I, I you know, I, it's hard for me to believe that Roquan wouldn't fit anybody's defense because of the athletic skills that he has. He's a good learner. He's a smart guy. So um, everything you were just saying is the reason that why it worked so well with Ted Washington and Keith Trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were so big up front that you couldn't get to Erlacher. You're absolutely right. Greg Gabriel. Yeah, they were just taking that. up space and Brian's free to roam and they're 13 and 3. Right. Greg Gabriel talked about that. We need some big we needed some big bodies to protect Erlacher so that he could do his thing and we got them. And, and that was a complete rip of Baltimore from the year before because they had Siragusa and Sam Adams. Mm-hmm two big guys and they won a championship with that. And the bears, I mean, it looked good. And then Ted Washington got hurt in week two of, of Oh two. And that was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And last says bears can still sign uh, Ogan Joby at a lower amount and have him just miss the first half of the season. And uh, Weederer was asked that, or was it Weederer or Briggs? They were asked that on, on one of the morning shows here in Chicago. And the response was it's unlikely the agent would want to do that um and and to uh this quote here i did uh pull a quote from ryan pose oh that's not it here it is uh ryan yeah. was was affected by the ogan joby situation he said the toughest thing i've had to go through it was emotionally draining was to deny someone an opportunity when you have this verbal agreement that's what's going to happen. They tore that tore me to pieces. I sat in the back of the car and I had a conversation with the kid and let him know just from what my job was and from my perspective, what we had to do. That was really, really hard because I was excited about him. So I think polls would be totally open to bringing Ogan Joby back uh, based on a contract that's fair under the circumstances of his health issue with that ankle uh, but uh again i don't recall if it was biggs or weeder saying that the agent probably would be reluctant to go back to the bears to try to uh get this deal so maybe only you know, as a last resort probably but yeah. you know the, there were some good stories there we had the ogajobi story coming here from africa learning football mm-hmm. and that we, we signed like one of his friends they're both north carolina uh, uh state of north carolina uh players uh, and they played at rival high schools and they, and they worked out and trained together in their, you know, uh, during their off seasons. So mm-hmm. Justin Jones and Ogan Joby, and, and, and I think the other guy's name is BJ Hill. Uh, they were all players and they all went to North Carolina colleges. They all know each other. So we actually signed like one of Ogan Joby's friends for that three technique position at Justin mm-hmm. Jones, who's a pretty good player with the chargers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good player. So, um, Man, I don't know. I, I I've actually started to do mock drafts now, you know, and it's like you talk about uh best player available. This year kind of fits that to the T. And while there's some obvious, obvious, really strong needs, but there's needs everywhere. I mean, yeah, if there's a uh, if there's an outstanding offensive tackle on the board, but you think you need more wide receivers, you gotta take the offensive tackle. You know, um, if there's some people have made the case of drafting two wide receivers in round two. 
I could see that happening because there's some really going to be some really outstanding wide receivers and available in round two, and you need multiple receivers on this team. You need cornerback. You need a safety. You need uh, what else? You need a backup tight end. You 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 need a lot on this team. This and is so, so strange. Ooh. Every year we're looking for all these positions. Don't you think? All <laughs> where's your graphic? Where's the circular thing? <laughs> it happens over and over and over again. Um, yeah, it is. It is. It's it, it's got me in despair. But uh, you know, Dan's Dan's words tonight have been so so helpful in 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 trying to look at this as a little bit more as the glass half full and uh justin fields is 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 a big reason for that i sure hope that i'm that this isn't cade mcdown you know cade <laughs> cade had a, a a decent rookie year in terms of like a, a bad season but he had some splash moments where we thought okay mm-hmm. next year he'll be our guy and he had one year as a starter and he was gone yeah and he was drafted just one pick behind Fields. Right. Like Fields was 11th, right? And Cade was 12th? Oh, my ten, gosh. 10th and 11th. 10th and 12th, sorry. Oh, okay. Fields was 10 and McNown was 12. Okay. Yeah, so I don't want him to be Cade McNown. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I hear you. and Because remember, a, Cade was mobile and could run around too. Right. And that's a, that's a fascinating example there because yeah. I think the biggest difference between those two guys is that Cade McNown was an asshole. No preparation either. That's what I what I heard. He didn't didn't yeah. watch film. Right. You know, just winged it. Right. That's why there, he was gone. There were stories that when he was in college, he would park, you know, in the disabled parking <laughs> lot spot, you know, because he thought he was a superstar that a lot of his teammates didn't like him and so forth. And I actually talked to Greg Gabriel about this issue on the most recent show. I didn't bring up Cade McNown specifically. I, I probably should have. But, you know, that whole thing about scouts checking into a player's personality is as important as seeing their work on tape as a football player. You know, you talk, Greg says, you know, we, we even talked to the locker room attendant to see how that player treats them. Do they just leave their socks and, and dirty underwear on the floor, you know, or do they, you know, put it in a bin and try to help them? Do they tip the, the attendant? Do they do things that show that they're a good person, that they have leadership skills and so forth? And I don't, whoever drafted Cade McNaw, maybe you guys know uh, which management team did that. I don't I'm think sure they, it was Hatley. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Yep. You're right. It was, Mark. They didn't do the homework on, on Cade McNown because those stories were prevalent about the, the fact that that guy was a dick. Hopefully, he's a much better person now. And if Cade, if you're listening and you want to come on to the show, you know, uh, he's just, rich. He's a rich guy now. He's like a financial advisor. Yeah, he works for. Yeah, a he's had a second life. Like his professional career is way better than his NFL career. Yeah. Mark, Mark Hatley was trying to get the next Steve Young, a left lefty scrambler. You know, it didn't work mm-hmm. out. Yeah, yeah, you know. PJ is saying Fields was picked 11. I think that is correct. So um, I thought it was 10. I could be wrong, though. I, I, I thought it was I'll 10. PJ is usually right. So. He is. That is true. Yep. Um, who else? Uh, it, it, I, I, we'll go to the uh, guy that knows it all in terms of Bears history. What other quarterbacks have the Bears drafted who were major busts like that? 
Now, Rick Meyer all was a trade acquisition. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, all of them. <laughs> Seems like the off the top of my head, if the most successful draftee was Kyle Orton. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, Jim McMahon. Oh yes, of course. Yes. Who we hope to get on the show uh, someday soon, but we'll we'll talk about that some other time. But yeah, Jim McMahon, of course, Super Bowl, absolutely. Um, a lot of people would say Rex was a bust. I don't think that that's fair. Yeah, I wouldn't. For the fourth round, Kyle certainly outplayed being a fourth round pick from Purdue. Uh, let's see who else. Like we said, Cade McDown. Uh, who else did we draft uh, recently? Obviously, we traded for Jay uh, Mitchell Trubisky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yep. You know, as much as I wanted him to be good, if you told me Mitch was a bust. It's, you know, I know if Mike was on here, he wouldn't like to hear that, but <laughs> it's kind of hard not to say that. I mean, I know he he had a lot of people, a lot of things holding him back because of the coach and stuff, but man, it's kind of hard not to say that that guy was a bust too. Mm-hmm. I, I, we'll, we'll find out a lot more about Mitch this season coming up when he, you know, takes uh, dresses in uh, uh, black and, and yellow for the Steelers. Right. Right. Well, and, and the news is, is that the Steelers were would pounce on Baker Mayfield if he becomes available. I kind of don't think that was probably for some blog site. Uh, I, I don't think that's that's reliable. They, they wanted to stay at Cleveland so they could keep beating him twice a year. Yeah, exactly. Here goes you all a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, was Jim Harbaugh a bust? He was the first-round pick. <sighs> yeah. Now, I liked Harbaugh, but. Yeah. Considering he was a first-round pick, was he a bust? From the Bears' perspective, yes. But he went on to, you know, have a lot. He of He did success. well with the Colts, yes. obviously. A lot. But as a Bear, was he the, a bad pick? See, I think. I hate to say this. I, I, I don't think so. I think that Ditka was the bust when it came to developing quarterbacks. And That's I what I was going to say. If and when we get McMahon on the show, I think he'll he'll be the first one to say, "Yeah, you know, uh, Ditka's not a quarterback coach. He, he doesn't know how to develop quarterbacks." And, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, I just saw Bob Avellini's name from last. Bob Avellini. Well, uh, to play devil's advocate, uh-huh. at the time that Jim was, for the most part, when Jim was playing, Greg Landry was the OC. He was the one supposed to be handling his development, not Ditka, though. Very you know? true. Very true. Very true. And uh, Greg was actually picked up in the latter years of his career, right? The former Detroit Lion greats. Yeah, gray-haired bastard. <laughs> I was I was like, Greg Landry coming to the Bears? And then I realized, wait a minute, isn't this guy like 39 years old? <laughs> he was one of those guys because the, the Bears had like 13 people play quarterback after Jim hurt his kidney yeah. in 84. Uh-huh. Rusty Lynch and even Walter started a few games. And, you know. I think we lost Dan maybe a little bit. Uh, are you there, Dan? Uh- I'm back. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's up. Did you all hear me talking about the Rusty guy? Uh, that that was when uh, we lost you, just when you were bringing up Rusty Hilger. I was just saying the Rusty guy is sort of the Caleb Haney of his time, mm-hmm. of just being an awful player. Shouldn't <laughs> be on the field. 
oh my gosh, the list of Bears quarterbacks, it's it's a comedy act, you know. <laughs> I'd like to slap the face of everybody that acquired those quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah. Very, very bad stuff. You think Mike, I mean, not because of their numbers, but even though they both had 18, I think Mike Tomzak and Kyle Orton are very much the same. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree and, with that. Yeah, McMahon is kind of like Cutler a little bit with his bravado. Because mm-hmm. Jade run your ass over too. Remember, Harrison Smith saw that. Yeah. See, the thing about um, Mac, Jimmy Mack, is that despite the fact that there were players who disliked him, guys like Dan Hampton, but he really had a lot of great friends and people who would defend them on offense. I mean, he got along with that offensive line. They were, they, those guys were brothers. Yeah, if you need to know anything about McMahon. You're the guy. Uh, in 87, in the playoff game, are you still here? Yes, I Yes, I, I was afraid that I lost you again. The 87 playoff game, we're up 14 to nothing on the Redskins. The, this is the game that Doug Williams is going to beat us in Walter's last game. But on the touchdown pass to Ron Morris, McMahon gets hit on that shoulder and is hurt again. Mm-hmm. And when it cuts, because the first you, the first thing the CBS is showing you is that Ron Morris caught the pass. It's a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Bears lead 14-0. But when they cut back to McMahon uh, on the turf, I, I think it's Hilgenberg. But there's two linemen that literally bend over on their knees to to make sure he's okay and to pick him up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not just like you're obligatory. Oh, we got to help him up. I mean, they literally are down on, you know, looking at him in the eyes. Are you okay? You got to get up. Your foot. We got. We need you to win. Right. right. And yeah, so they love the guy, man, and that's infectious. Yes, that is. That is. And I hope. And I hope Justin Fields can be that guy moving yeah. forward. I, I really want him to be. Yep. That what was that one play where Tevin Jenkins came to his defense and then. Uh, right um, against Minnesota. Right against the Vikings and and the offensive tackle who is still a free agent, uh, uh, formerly with the Bears, formerly with the Seahawks. I'm forgetting his name. Afidi, Jermaine Afidi, yeah. just pushes Jenkins away. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Now, I was upset with Tevin Jenkins that he did something that got a penalty. He sh- he should have handled that differently. So I understand that, but still, you want you 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 want that type of approach offensive linemen should treat their quarterback as if he is their mother uh and protect at all times and that was that play was polarizing at the time there are a lot of people like supporting afidi yes and not jenkins uh, until like the next day i started to hear people say well wait a minute jenkins is kind of doing the right thing mm-hmm. yeah uh, and I, I was torn about it on the uh, on our debate show. <laughs> I'm the moderator of the debate, but Buffon and I got into it because I thought that Jenkins, you know, sh- what that was a costly penalty at that time of the game. And I thought, you know, th- there's well, how I grew up learning to play the game was somebody does something like that, you get them on the next play, you punch them in the ribs, or you set them up for somebody else to hit them in the ribs if you're in the offensive line. Uh, you're in a, a, a scrum and you, you stick your knee in their chest, you know, you do little dirty things like that to get back as opposed to doing something that is clearly going to be, get a, a yellow flag from the officials because everybody's looking at you. Um, that's the way you handle stuff like that. But that's the way Puerto Ricans play football anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he hit him in the ribs while they're rushing the quarterback. <laughs> so you sound like, you sound like Lane Beer if you're, I'm talking about football. No shit. 
I'm telling yeah, you, I'm, I'm, I'm still the doing biggest this. hypocrite. I'm the biggest hypocrite when it comes to stuff like that. You're still watching Lambeer play? Are you I'm still in that deep dive of Detroit. I'm, I've made it through the, the third game against Portland, <laughs> and there was a, a sequence in the game where he was like Buck Williams. He was annoying Buck Williams. He pulled on Buck Williams. Mm -hmm. just, just tucked on his jersey. Yeah. And Buck had five fouls. And Buck like fucking literally smacks him in the throat because he's so mad that he pulled on his jersey. The official saw it. He's fouled out. But you know what that is, though? It's the constant harassment throughout the game. And so it, it almost always happens. You know, you, you react to something that really wasn't that big of a deal, but it's the accumulation of stuff. Um, I, he I, took like eight charges in that game. And they just, all of them, Duckworth and Buck Williams and this Cooper guy off the bench, he had every one of them in foul trouble. Was that the he former was in Laker? all of their heads. Was that the former Laker, Michael Cooper, or a different Cooper? No, no, no. It was the big backup center. Michael okay. Cooper was still with the, the Lakers then. Okay. But interestingly, since we've been watching Winning Time, at halftime of game one of the 90 finals, mm -hmm. Pat Riley was on and he was like, ah, you know, we're still talking about a new contract. And by game two or three, they said, breaking news, Pat Riley's gone. Mm. So, wow. like, wow. You know, I still think, like, wow. Like, how could you tell Pat Riley he's gone, you know? Yeah, yeah it's it's fascinating to me that you got into that whole uh, 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 Pistons uh, era. Do you have these games all on recorded? Yeah, that's what I've been watching. Yeah, I wow. sent you a, a, a clip last night of a, this that. huge yeah. slam that Clyde Drexler had. Yeah, that was pretty neat. I was like, wow. Yeah, but yeah. I, I hadn't watched these games in years. I mean, years. Mm -hmm. I found a guy online that's got that the the Bulls sweep series, or at least he's got the the clinching game with the walk off. I don't have any of that series. I'm thinking about getting that one, uh, just to kind of. I've been watching all these games from their rise mm -hmm. and when they lost to boston they lost to the lakers they, they beat the lakers and beat portland so it would kind of be cool to, to finish it out with chicago taking them mm -hmm. yeah you've been because you always forget the context of everything i mean you remember the outcome you remember right. the big plays right but like little things you know whether it be a trade or the way it impacted uh, a team or the way it was covered the day of or the month of mm -hmm. those little nuances are fascinating to me that you always it's like seeing a movie that you like over and over, and then you catch some dialogue that you never really saw before, or that you know what I mean? You for get sure. something new from it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So watching that, uh, like I told you, I think last week, I saw a spot for Kareem Abdul Jabbar uh, or wearing LA gears, endorsing LA gear. Like, I, fuck, I didn't remember that. Maybe I knew that in 1989, but if you had asked me three weeks ago, does Kareem Abdul Jabbar endorse la gear i'd have been like oh, no <laughs> you know but is la gear still around no it's it's fascinating to me like la gear you remember when carl malone was wearing those shoes with the lights in the back yes in like 91 <laughs> see those were la gear at the time la gear had some street cred yeah. but by like 94 ish they were like in in like walmart or the dollar store like they went down quick i'm not sure why but in the early 90s that was a good brand 
I think it's because yeah. little kids started wearing those those gym shoes with the lights in the back, and that ruined the brand, you know? Because I, I don't know, maybe basketball shoes are all about being super cool. And when a ten year old kid is walking around with the shoes that you thought were super cool, they're no longer super cool, and that hurts the brand. It's an unusual another, um, uh, uh, marketplace. Another brand that just like shit the bed overnight was British Knights. Do you remember BKs? Oh my gosh, yes. I think Hammer endorsed them at one point. MC- maybe that's what maybe that's what fucking ruined them. <laughs> Sweetness wore the Roos brand. Uh, yeah, the Kangaroos. Yeah, uh, I couldn't get on some Roos, man. Even if Walter wore it, I could. I couldn't wear it. <laughs> oh, geez. All right. Uh, let's see. We've got about forty minutes left. You guys want to talk about stuff that you have watched? I know that uh, Dan is anxious to talk about a particular documentary that he that he saw but before that you know we've got to hear from tooch tooch what have you seen uh what have you liked uh, that you want to share i know you've been busy watching the tournament and winning uh money for people and stuff like that but if you've seen anything on the tube uh of interest to talk about yeah uh the winning time lakers you know episode four was really great man mm-hmm. with uh, uh coach mckinney uh the guy they brought in when tarkanian uh, turned down the job uh, ultimately after his uh, right hand guy was found <laughs> killed by the mob in the back of his car, the trunk of his car. But uh, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the the McKinney system was uh, you know uh, that was fascinating to watch. Where he just wanted you know no no point guard, no uh, everybody's a ball handler, you know free form, get to the hoop, constant motion. You know, uh, uh, that was fascinating in the tug of war between him and Jerry West, you know, and then the players, you know, uh, uh, Dan and I talked a little bit about it by text, how we both really, I think uh, episode four was probably the best of all the episodes, I think. Mm. Uh, you agree with that, Dan? Yeah, it was fun. Uh, I didn't know. I, I, I See, I thought Westhead was the coach, and I didn't even know this McKinney gets hit he's riding a bike and gets hit by a car or something. Like I didn't know that story at all until I was like, wait, where's Westhead? Oh, he's the assistant. Well, how is he coaching when they win the championship? I looked that up. I didn't know that at all. Wow. I didn't know that either. I have not seen uh, that episode nor uh, winning because uh, I was watching the Oscars. So I got to get, uh, get up to speed on those, but I'm anxious to watch them. the guy that's playing. Michael Cooper looks just fucking like him though. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I don't know. It's like creepy. It could be his son. That's how much he looks like him. Now I caught that like the tail end because I, I I did see the show that's on immediately afterwards. I think it's the John Oliver show. I, I did catch what looked like a preview of the upcoming episode where Jabara and Magic are having a fight. Do you guys see that? Yes. Oh, that's gonna be good. That- yeah, he said something to him like, uh, you know, you have to earn your respect. He's like, well, I've called you cap every day and you haven't fucking let anybody. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> I can't wait to see that one. That would be a great series to do a binge on, man. I wish HBO had that feature. They, they, they got to start doing that. Even uh, uh, Showtime, at least like with their Sunday night shows, they release them via streaming earlier in the day. So if you can't watch it when it's released at 9 p.m. Central, you can watch it yeah. you know, earlier today. That's the way to do it. Come on, HBO. I, I don't mind waiting. I think it builds anticipation for me. Yeah, I don't like waiting so long, though. I've become it a does, big watcher. 
It does build the anticipation cross if you fucking hate anticipation. <laughs> That's right. That's why I'm upset with the Ryan Pole there so far. It's like, come on, give me a winning team. I only have so much time left, please. You know, uh, I did watch another uh, a new series, and uh, I know Andre we always talk about spaghetti westerns and stuff. The series mm-hmm. is like is a spaghetti western, but serial a series. It's called That Dirty Black Bag. It's on AMC, and it's really mm-hmm. well. It's really well done. It's like Italian and American. Uh, production and they have the same kind of like you know uh, camera work and uh, the same style of the spaghetti western you know the the, uh, cool. the, the music in, in that in that vein yeah but but it's modernized you know uh, a modernized story uh, but it takes place in the old west but yeah it's, uh, I'm enjoying it so far I've watched the first episode hmm. uh, it has uh, you know decent cast you know of course. Uh, the guy who played Littlefinger in Game of Thrones is up to no good in this one too. So that's oh, he's you know, a good actor. A little bit of a bonus, little, yeah. you know, same kind of plotting, scheming guy. Good actor. He was in Wired too. Yeah. Uh, I remember him. Uh, uh, I think one or two seasons he was on the TV yeah. HBO show Wired. What and do you guys think about the Detroit Lions being picked uh, to be on Hard Knocks? Oh. Oh, is Don Burr coming on the show? Don Burr right now is ejaculating. Has been ejaculating since the announcement. It's just been a constant stream of ejaculate throughout his house. <laughs> that coach will be good ratings for them, probably. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know this. This could be like um, a uh, a disaster movie, like the Titanic, but with you know a uh, charismatic coach. Uh, Overseeing the, the the disaster of the Detroit Lions yet again, screwing up draft picks, can't don't have a quarterback. Um, th- th- I think it's a great choice. I, I, uh, that that franchise has always fascinated me, you know. And uh, and that coach is just he's he sells tickets, man. He he still has his admirers. I don't. I'm not sure he's a good coach yet. He could potentially be. But uh, he's got guys playing hard, and that front office. Coach, yeah. Right, Dude, Don, we, we Don. don't need to really watch it. We'll just have Don Burr to tell us all about it in the chat oh. room. All yeah, Don, Don, you 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 can have a segment on the show uh, to do like a fifteen minute recap of of Hard Knocks here. That that's an invitation for you. <laughs> uh, and, and, and Don I- rightly points out that the general manager, uh, the, the the decision makers over there, are guys who are you know, who deserve a lot of respect. So that's the one thing about the Lions franchise that from a the standpoint of the fans, they, they should have some hope that this thing is going to turn get turned around. I, I'm not too crazy about their first selection as a head coach, but maybe they just felt that that culture change was more important than somebody who knows, you know, when to use their timeouts and, and, and some of the rules, uh, because he clearly doesn't know that yet. He's, he's learning on the job. Although you haven't seen the episode four of winning time, right? Yeah. Correct. The, the, the actor that plays uh, coach McKinney, uh, mm-hmm. Tracy Letts, he excellent. Is- actor. Yeah, excellent actor. A guy that you probably I, I, I've seen this guy, but I don't know his name. He's really good mm-hmm. though. But and uh, he's also in that movie that I told Dan and you to watch with Ben Affleck. And we need Dan to give a little comment about Ben Affleck's female co-star in Deeper Water. Oh, oh my gosh. God! It's one of the most attractive women I've ever seen. I always tell you all that uh, the lady from The Sopranos. 
and the hand that rocks the cradle. Uh, Annabella Ciara is like the one that I always think is like the most beautiful celebrity that I've ever seen. And Marissa Tomei, maybe. Uh, but God damn, this this lady that I guess she's an Italian woman, right? Yeah. Oh, holy fuck. Like the even I, I she's so beautiful. You could just turn the fucking mute and subtitles off. and Just look at her. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's just the, the male in me. But I just I'm like, where have you been all my life? Like this lady wasn't like I want to watch other movies here and now just because of your face. <laughs> like this woman was incredible. Like I'm not even trying to to uh, to say she's not talented or anything like that. I'm not trying to bring her down you know what i mean i'm not trying to objectify her i'm just saying she's just naturally she could be in her period jogging pants with no makeup on and she would still be a 10 (laughs) not that we should rate women in 2022 but you get the point she's fucking amazing i guess she's just so naturally beautiful but yeah, I enjoyed the movie. I didn't wait, see wait, the wait, ending did coming. Did you say her period jogging with her period? Is that what you said? Her period jogging pants. You know when they wear the sweatpants when they're in a heavy heavy period? Oh, I never really noticed that. Yeah, a lot of women will just wear like something that makes them feel like, you know, loose and shit when they're in a really heavy, like, oh, my stomach's hurting kind of period. Mm-hmm. You know, just some gray sweatpants and no makeup and her hair's messed up and she's fucking feeling bad and doesn't care you know if she's got the owner and on whatever like that's this woman would still look amazing in that scenario uh, four thousand glovers appreciates that you finally got to the chase and said that she's fucking hot she's fucking unbelievable <laughs> uh, absolutely beautiful like Wait, one of the most beautiful women i've ever seen yeah what the hell's wrong with leo somebody get a doctor <laughs> Leo Factus is not my type. Come on, Leo. You'd have to be dead for her not to be your type. Although. Yeah. Leo, give me yeah, that's right. Leo, give me a name of what's your type, and we'll uh, do a, a, a side-by-side comparison. <laughs> uh, does Dan have ADHD? Dan Aguirre, do you have ADHD? Yes. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Like I, I'm able to watch a four-hour movie or fucking, or like I have no problems with an attention span. So I don't think so. Okay. Well, uh, that, that answers your question. So uh, Got a go ahead. Graphic memory though. So besides how gorgeous this woman is, a woman is. Yeah. Uh, what was the movie uh, about? And and you guys clearly liked it. It was great. Um, yes. Oh, go ahead, too. It's my bad. Go ahead. It, it was the Adrian Lyne film, the director who did Fatal Attraction. So it's kind of an updated, updated version of it with, you know, Ben Affleck uh, in, you know, the reverse, a little bit of the reverse of the roles. You know, instead you had Glenn Close and Michael Douglas. You know, this time you got Ben Affleck as, you know, more of the crazed, crazed. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's He's a true, like Will Smith. Yeah. He's like Will Smith because his wife wants right. to be Polly. And yeah. wants to do all these other uh, other men, but instead of slapping the comedian, like uh, Affleck's character just kills you. Yeah, is that too? All the, men, all the men she brings home, his bile bodies piling up. <laughs> By the way, uh, Leo has submitted a couple of names of women, and I'm trying oh. to find a picture of Barbara 
Mori. I don't know who Barbara Mori is. And is that someone doesn't... that lives next door to Leo? <laughs> 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 His teacher. Do we, third do we need to call? I, uh, while I find a picture, let's address Jordan's uh, question here. He says he wants to know from the three of us how we feel that the Bears never, ever end up on all or nothing or hard knocks. Tooch, you handle that one first, and I'll look up for a picture of Barbara. Yeah, we, 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 we've talked about this before, about how, like, uh, the McCaskey family doesn't want anything to do with it. They wouldn't do it unless they were forced to do it by the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Dan, your thoughts? I agree with Tooch. I think that that's part of the reason that that hasn't happened. And frankly, I'm kind of – either way, it doesn't doesn't make me happy thinking they would be on there, but it doesn't make me unhappy that they're not. I'll tell you what. I I feel – I'm disappointed that the Bears have not been on that show. I love that show and the access that most teams have given uh, that crew. There was one season – that wasn't uh, the access wasn't quite the same. And I want to say it was the Rams uh, that were featured. They didn't videotape when coaches were telling the players that they were cut and seen that emotional scene and stuff. But I, I feel like uh, it's clearly uh, Tooch and, and Dan are quite right. It's the McCaskies who have been totally resistant to having those cameras at Hallis Hall. Plus uh, you, 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 you are allowed to get away from it. Once you have a new coach, because you've the, the league says, well, you, you shouldn't disrupt this team that's you know got a new coach and they're implementing a new system and blah blah blah, and that makes that makes sense. But after that, they've been fair game, and the word is is that the McCaskies have worked behind the scenes to uh, not allow that to happen because most teams don't want those cameras around. There are very few teams that welcome that, so. Uh, and Jordan then follows up and asks, do you think it's because Hallis Hall is dysfunctional? Well, you know what? Um, could be. Could be. And hopefully that's not going to be the case in a couple of years. All right. I found a picture of Barbara Mori, and she is gorgeous. Um, but is she more gorgeous than Anna? That is for debate. But she is a very pretty woman. Uh, Dan, you can't see her, right? No, but I mean, you know, I like women. So, I mean, what difference does it make that I'm assuming that they're both uh, attractive women that none of us will ever sleep with. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) I was going to send you a picture on my phone, but it just died. So uh, never mind. (laughs) Um, Well, good. You won't have to see the article I sent you saying that Trump would beat Biden in 2024. Yeah, why do you want, why do you want to get me lower my feelings than than I, I really think know. that the Republicans are going to win the House, and then it's all on the line in twenty four. Man, I do. Yeah. But anyway, well, we shall see. Um, all right, uh, I have uh, the only thing that I saw out other than the Oscars was Dune in preparation for the Oscars, and uh, I was impressed. Great movie. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, I, and I've never worked the, uh, uh, read the Frank Herbert book. That's not my kind of book to read where there's all these yeah. you know name changes and obscure names yeah. and that's it's a tough read hard. too that's what i've heard that's what i've yeah. heard but um whoever whoever did the script for this and uh, did yeah. the yeah. Uh, uh adaptation did a fantastic job because i had very little trouble keeping up with all of the characters and following some of the intergalactic language that that was used 
It was well-paced. The performances were great. The special effects were outstanding. I regret not having seen it on IMAX. Um, I highly recommend it. I know, Dan, science fiction is not your kind of thing. I, I'll watch the original with Kyle McLaughlin because I'm a Twin yeah. Peaks fan. Yeah, David, David it's Lynch. It's coming on in the next week or so. I can't remember if it's stars or showtime, but it's coming on. I've already set it to record. Mm -hmm. If I like the old one, I'll check out the new one. Well, I think that the old one was universally panned um, because it appears that Lynch, you know, didn't. Hollywood has for such a long time stayed away from that material because it was difficult to adapt. And apparently the critics at the time of David Lynch's Dune version did not like it because of that very thing it was kind of complicated and hard to watch now i haven't seen that version uh yet but i uh but i probably yeah, but will. he gets off on making it like to where you can't understand it yeah that that is a david lynch thing he he really delves into his dreams for a lot of his movies and they're all very dreamlike so if you don't mind uh a movie not making a lot of sense but is, is hypnotic and feel then maybe maybe you'll like uh dune yeah, lost highway of, of the same ilk which is a movie I've never seen and I'm dying to see with Robert Blake as a very mysterious figure. I I, I don't know the plot, uh, but uh, really strange. Every, every clip I've seen, it's like Robert Blake is playing one of the scariest guys I've ever seen. Is that, he out of prison I, now? Or is he, I think did he, he is. pass away? Okay. I don't know if he's passed away, but I don't think he's in jail now. Uh, PJ okay. said that uh, he thought the dune was kind of slow uh, imagine pj you're talking about the most recent one yeah it doesn't it, it's not a traditional um action marvel sci-fi kind of film it's uh you know dennis uh dennis villanueva the director is it's a much more yeah. you know meditative kind of look at at stuff um, to, to be fair the, the the novel's split in half you know there's supposed to be a second movie Correct. Uh, yeah. the, the, the first half of the movie is a lot of exposition as it sets up the story, you know, mm -hmm. with the, the, the background of why they, you know, came to Dune and all that stuff. And uh, the, the story of uh, movies trying to be made of Dune, there's a few of them. You know, the, the, uh, the, there's a David Lynch film and then Alejandro uh, Jodorowsky, uh, oh, a weird right. director who he. He for a long time wanted to do a version of Dune. There's there's actually a documentary called Jodorowsky's Dune about mm -hmm. him trying to get his version of Dune made and all the work they put into it, you know. And of course, he he's done uh, some of those psychedelic '70s movies like El Topo and Santa Sangre, which are oh, very he did very El strange. Topo, huh? Yeah, yeah, wow, he did El Topo. Uh, he did also that Solo, Hundred Days of Sodom, I believe. Uh, uh, another weird uh, uh, movie, but uh, uh, the new one, uh, I think they finally got uh, the, they got to the point where technology uh, in film could recreate Frank Herbert's novel. And uh, I'll tell you, the first movie of Dune, uh, it followed the novel almost exactly. I, mean, I was really impressed. Uh, all the things that you imagined uh, in the novel, like the, the, the flying uh, uh, they're like helicopters, but they have wings like uh, hummingbirds. Yeah, you know that was what what you imagine in the books too. The those mm -hmm. uh, flying vehicles and stuff. Then, you know, of course the uh, uh, the giant sandworms and stuff. You know, there just wasn't you know uh, special effects. I mean, Dennis Dennis Villeneuve's 
Villeneuve, whatever his name is, uh, his special effects crew did a fucking amazing job on that, man. That, the worms look, looked killer, dude. Uh, I enjoyed the movie a lot. Of, it, it, it stands uh, repeated viewings, too, I think. Um, he asked if I'm still drinking. Yeah, I'm still drinking. <laughs> I went to the dentist today. I was in the dentist chair for two hours and 40 minutes. I deserve a drink. That's that's what alcoholics say, right? I deserve a drink. <laughs> um, I was just asked who are my favorite filmmakers between Kubrick and Lynch. I love them both, but Kubrick is first and foremost my favorite uh, because. And by the way, that's Barroom Network thing is from me, not not Tooch. Um, the reason I like Kubrick is because he he made his films uh, that were all very literary. And feel it's it's like you were reading a a a rich uh, novel, and he took his time with it. His his movies are are heavy. The imagery really carries a lot of weight in the telling of the story. Um, he you know some of his movies are not great, but I just find the approach. Uh, the end result to be hypnotic. And so he's always been my favorite. And the first film that I remember really watching when I was a kid that made me fall in love with cinema was the Kirk Douglas film that uh, Kubrick directed, the anti-war movie called Paths of Glory. Uh, have you guys ever seen it, Tooch, Dan? Negative. I, I, I watched it a, a while back. It's like the early 60s, I think, right? Correct. For early 60s. It's based on a true story. Uh, Kirk Douglas plays Colonel Dax uh, of the French Army, right. and he is tasked with uh, running an impossible mission, which is to take this hill that is named the Ant Hill. And the Germans have, there's just no way they are going to get from the position that they are and across this, I don't know, several hundred yard terrain uh, that is being bombarded by uh, German bombs and, and, and get to this hill to overtake. It's just not going to happen. It's a suicide mission. And the only reason Colonel Dax goes through with it is because he is uh, threatened. And we're going to take your troops away. We're going to send you somewhere. And, and he is so invested in his troops that he says, fuck it, I got to try to lead these men through it. And the battle scene is just horrific um, uh, and, uh, the, the top guy who gave the order is pissed off at a lot of the men didn't even leave the trenches because they were being bombarded. And so he orders that three men from each regiment is tried and, uh, for cowardice and with the punishment being, uh, death, the death penalty. So it's a great anti-war movie, brilliantly shot. In black and white, uh, it's it's just fantastic. So if you guys ever see it, I'd love to talk more and get your impressions about it. Paths of Glory, it's one it's of my favorite. It's been a long time for me for that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great film. Um, all right, uh, we've got uh, 15 minutes or so left before Dan hits the road to save some lives. Uh, Dan, you watched the documentary uh, called, uh, what's the name of it? Phoenix Rising. Phoenix Rising. And if, if you guys have been paying attention to this show, uh, you know that Dan is a Marilyn Manson fan. And he has had some questions about the allegations made by Evan Rachel Wood, the actress, uh, about uh, her allegations of rape and, and, and so forth by 
Marilyn Manson towards her. She's just made a documentary. It's a two-part documentary that's on HBO. And Dan, you wanted to comment on it. I have a, I have a page full of notes. Please go. I don't know where to start considering uh, that I have such limited time. So I'm going to bounce around and probably get the attention deficit disorder accusation. But it's just to try to be to get cram all my shit in. Okay. Okay. First off, context means everything. All right. Context is king. Mm -hmm. This lady, uh, Ilma Gore, is her partner, her off on again, off again lesbian lover, and that's fine. She doesn't have to crudely say that, but that's part of the context. You have to say that. Oh, by the way, we've dated. We've been in a relationship. The the documentary hides that altogether. And to me, that's an ulterior motive uh, because you can see that they have something to gain to go after him. Furthermore, uh, she portrays herself as a victim. And forget the sex part. Forget Manson. Every step of the way, like she'll even say early, she'll be like, I didn't want to kiss this man in the film. Like she's like trying to get you to feel sorry for her because as an actress, she was 15 or whatever and had to kiss a man who was of age. So it's like every step of the way, she wants you to believe that she's forced to doing things that she doesn't like or doesn't want to do. But again, that's not who she really was. And she doesn't con convey to you at the time because she makes it seem like she keeps showing this animation of her of as being a little girl in a dress and dark and sinister Marilyn Manson comes and swoops her up. And he wasn't even the first older guy. They make such a big deal out of the fact that he was older. And I get it. It's weird. If I were 37, 38, there's no way I'd want to go after an 18 and 19 year old girl. I wouldn't. But be that as it may, she had a thing for older men. She uh, she was allegedly fucking Edward Norton, whom I like a lot, when she was 17. They dated when she was 18. There's no context of that conveyed at all. She was going around saying when she was with Edward Norton, I like older men. It works for me. Don't judge me. So Manson was just another product of her liking older men. But the, the documentary makes it seem like she would have never been with somebody that age. And she was just completely brainwashed. And that's not fair. Uh, before I get into the little things that the documentary does that's manipulative, I also want to give further context on the heart of the matter. Uh, no pun intended with heart-shaped glasses, the doc, the music video that she alleges she was raped in. And this is her own words, Aldo. I'm not twisting. Mm -hmm. She alleges she was raped in 2006. And if that happened, that's terrible. That's traumatic. That would be something you would never get over, and rightfully so. Mm -hmm. But later in the film, she says, everything was great until Twiggy Ramirez rejoined the band, a.k.a. Jordy White. Well, that's great. Uh, so she blames everything on Jordy coming back in the band, but that happened in 2008. So why would you say everything was okay until Jordy rejoined the band in 2008? If, oh, by the way, two years ago, I was allegedly raped. See, to me, if I were raped, I would say, God damn, it started in 2006 when I was raped. That's when things got bad. Mm -hmm. But later in the film, she contradicts herself by saying it's when Twiggy joins the band. Even furthermore, more context. Twiggy or Jordy, Jordy White was accused of raping the singer from a 90s band called Jack Off Jill. And Manson immediately fired him, despite the fact it was his best friend. And at the time, Manson said, I don't know the girl's name, but the, the band. 
He said, I've known her 20 plus years. I've never known her to lie. And this upsets me terribly. I have to, to fire my best friend, but I've never known her to lie. So he fired him over that. So just a little bit of context. But a couple of things that, that are in the documentary that are just fucking wrong. Um, for one, they read excerpts of his book that he wrote in 1997 as a 28-year-old man. And it was released in early 1998. But the documentary makes it seem like it's from 2017. Mm -hmm. Now, the context of that is this. He he's survived at that time. He's become this huge polarizing figure. He's everywhere in pop culture. He's he's receiving death threats everywhere. What I'm saying is he's writing this shit in his book that accentuates his character. But even if that's just an opinion and that's really is who he was, he was still 27, 28 years old writing this. He's 53 now. So even if you think he's a scumbag and maybe he'll prove to be a scumbag, he like his whole message in life has changed from that era. I mean, his last album, he was talking about just feeling claustrophobic from the the COVID situation, not being able to leave the house. So it's not like he's still beating that same drum of things he would have said in 1997 uh, to shock people. Uh, she also quotes the book to say that he didn't have a relationship with his parents. That's flat out wrong. I met his dad on tour multiple times. He and his dad were super tight. He posted this long thing when his dad died about his heart just being ravaged when his dad died. And his dad would wear the Manson makeup with him. And like he said, um, his dad's last wishes for him were him for Manson to get off of cocaine. He said, if you could just get off the drugs. That's what his dad told him. His mom died even before that. And once more, Manson posted how, you know, he was just destroyed that his mom died. And she makes it sound like he hates everybody. So naturally he would hate his parents. Again, just it's weird stuff. Okay, so... He becomes famous in the mid-90s for attacking Christianity. And a, a full disclosure, I'm not a believer, and I enjoyed every second of it. But within the context of her film, she makes it seem like he's being a pro-Nazi guy when he was calling Christian evangelist fascists. But she makes it sound like he's up there praising Hitler when he was tearing up the Bible and stuff. I think that's a gross distortion of what he was saying. Now, I she knows him better than I do. He may have all these Nazi artifacts at the house, what she's alleging, and that's horrible. Uh, but he has never said anything in his art to, to anyone to construe that he's an anti-Semite. Furthermore, she makes such a big deal about how she's Jewish and how he made her draw a Hitler mustache on Halloween. Not true. There's footage of that, and she willingly did that. She drew it on and thought it was funny at the time. She's on tour with them doing copious amounts of drugs, which in the film she acts like she was forcibly ingested. You're a 19-year-old woman. You don't have to take dope if you don't want to. She did, but she makes it sound like Manson forcibly. She's like, oh, I started to get sores. You know why you started to get sores? Because you're taking fucking hard drugs. You're shooting up. That's why. And Manson has never denied that he's had a drug problem, but she lived that lifestyle with him because she wanted to. And again, now she's a mom and she's grown up and she doesn't want that. I get it. But you can't just say 
oh, he forcibly made me take these drugs because it fits your narrative. It's just, it's crazy. But um, let me keep going here. I'm trying to wrap it up. Um, they use tour footage from 19, I know at the source of everything they've taken from. They show tour footage from the Dead to the World VHS tape and God is in the TV and they present them as if they're current today when they're old footage. Once again, not saying that, it's just manipulative. Oh, God. Um, they accuse him of being a racist. Do you know the Patti Smith song called Rock and Roll? And I'm just going to say N-word from the 70s. No, don't say the N-word. I'm not saying it. I'm saying <laughs> rock and roll N-word. You okay. know the song I'm talking about, right? Uh, I believe I, I'm familiar with it, yes. It's a Patti Smith song from 1978. Yes, yes. Well, he covered that in the middle 90s, and people were calling him racist because of that. And when he was going on tour, he'd always have a black person come on stage and sing it with him. Uh, but she was basically intimating that he was prejudiced in that aspect too. Um, but okay, uh, again, I know I'm bouncing around just to, to save time. Context here. She was talking about love bombing and that he, Manson was saying, oh, you're my muse and all this. But at the time of his divorce, one of the big things he said between he and Dita, who are still on good terms, by the way, he and Dita, he said one of the big things is she wanted him to not be Marilyn Manson. She didn't want him to perform anymore. He didn't need the money. She wanted him to be Brian and wanted him to be around the house and travel and just be a normal guy. And he acquiesced and for like a year thought he was going to do that. So Evan Rachel Wood makes a big deal out of a Manson says, oh, I can be Marilyn Manson again because of you. That was from his fucking heart, man. That wasn't quote unquote love bombing. He felt that with Dita, he had to retire. She didn't want to put up with the touring and all this shit. So Manson writes an album as her as a muse, which is the one heart-shaped glasses is taken from in 2007. That's legit. He felt like it's okay to play the rock and roll guy. My wife doesn't want me to do it. Like that's how he felt at the time. And the documentary shows that, oh, he branded me. He branded me, made me put this tattoo on him. He got a matching tattoo. He's got the same one with Evan's name on it. Like, it's not like he made her put a Manson tattoo on her and that was it. He got the same tattoo. He and Johnny Depp have matching tattoos. It's just a thing. They make a big deal at Manson drinks blood. Do I drink blood? Of course not. But he does. So what? It's Angelina Jolie used to drink blood. It's not my thing. But they tried every step of the way to make him seem so sinister when I don't think that that's necessarily fair when you dive into all the context. Um. I feel like you're you're rolling your eyes at me. No, I'm but not at all. I'm not at all. Go ahead. At the end of it, the first, now I will say, when she's telling the story about him beating her, I believe it. I did. It seemed like to me, she convinced me at that moment um, that he was whipping her with, I don't know if it's a Nazi whip or if it is or it isn't, it's still heinous. Uh, I believe that aspect of it. I do not believe that she was raped on the set of heart-shaped glasses because again, She's vaguely said that someone was going to support her. No names have come out. And the attorney said the director is willing to come and uh, testify on Manson's behalf. And again, I told you, she said nothing got bad. So Twiggy got there and the rape was allegedly two years before. But the second half of the film really got to where I was like, holy shit, she keeps making crying sound effects, but there are no tears. Not saying that she wasn't crying, but it came across as staged, rehearsed and phony. And she says multiple times, like, I'm not after, I have to get Brian, but as recorded over the course of like four years, it shows that she is. 
And like she keeps saying, like, it's it's imminent that he's going to be arrested. It's not imminent. Like, it hasn't happened. It was showing her in like 2018 saying he's going to be arrested. 2019, he's going to be arrested. He, it hasn't happened. And there was no, according to Manson, there was no investigation. She was telling people that shit and trying to make them believe it. Now, I don't know if that's a factor. He's wrong, but it's just, it's, it's weird. Like they, they were filming all of this stuff. It's she's pretty obsessed with it. And if she were abused, she should be, but I'm just saying, um, another thing on it, uh, she, I, I feel like, uh, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. I'm having to just throw these out at you so quickly. She says that he uses a movie script as a way of driving, drawing her in is a person that likes movies. Like I do, Aldo, you'll appreciate this. There was a movie of some guy named Lewis Carroll that he was writing and it kept getting put it, it kept getting into what they call turnaround, mm -hmm. you know, where they, they have it. And then the financing falls through. Mm -hmm. He like the move this, she makes it seem like Manson brought her in to help write this script and he just used it as a way to fuck her. Again, that's not true. He tried to make this movie for years. He didn't give up on it till like 2013. It just, it can't get financed. It's just not going to happen. It kept getting put in turnaround or what they call developmental hell or, or what have you. So all these things matter, but the documentary just makes it sound like uh, you know, she's like, oh, I stayed up for days. You know why you stayed up for days? Because you did a bunch of drugs. Uh, he kept the house cold. Yeah, he said over and over he keeps his house at 60 degrees. I get it. But you stay up for days when you do drugs. I don't believe that he forcibly ingested, made her take drugs. She's a grown woman. She can make that decision for herself. Now, to be fair, there are a lot of things she says that are upsetting. Uh, the The whipping, for example, the 138 phone calls. That is a form of abuse. And he, he admits that he did that, that he was obsessed over it. So she's not lying there. Uh, fucking her while she's asleep against her will. If that happened again, that's not cool. She alleges he shocked her vagina with some kind of fucking, uh, some kind of tool, or maybe it's a BDSM toy. I don't know what it is. If you don't want that, not cool whatsoever. She says he made her cook a meal after her abortion. Who knows if that's true? If it is, it's terrible. But I do know that he had a woman that was paid to cook his meals because, again, she's come to his defense and she cooked for him for 15 years or whatever. So why wouldn't he get her to cook them a meal? I don't know. But I'm, I'm just saying the, the documentary as a whole uses a lot of things out of context and portrays her as a victim on so many things that just aren't true or it's just misleading. Do you have a response to anything I've said? Well, and I, I, I mentioned this uh, just before the show. I think that there needs to be a new category for movies like this because I've always come to know it's documentaries as movies that present two sides of the story. It takes a very journalistic approach to the issue. This uh, documentary, so-called documentary, has a clear agenda. It started out with about a film uh, of the efforts to to pass into legislation the Phoenix Act, which means uh, there's uh, many states say that the law says that if you are raped, if you don't present evidence within a certain amount of time, usually it's a year and a half or two years, then you can no longer do that. And so Ray, Evan Rachel Wood's efforts and a, and a bunch of other women wanted to change that 
to more like seven years or 10 years or so forth, because they contend that many of these women are young. Uh, Dan, when you say that she was 19, well, that's that's young, and you still don't know a lot about what's going on and how well, she was with Edward young. Norton before that, though. Yeah, but that's but but that doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's you're still young, and the premise of what she is saying is that she was groomed. She was groomed by Marilyn Manson with all of these tactics for her to go along and basically be his slave. You know, it's a kind of a uh, uh, what's that uh, syndrome called? Uh, syndrome called uh, Munchausen's. You know, you, you uh, she she mentions in a documentary that therapists have told that she was suffering during that period from Munchausen's uh, syndrome, where you become uh, compassionate with your victimizer, and so that uh, that's what's what was supposed to be the premise of the film, but the filmmaker has been quoted as saying. Once she started opening up about all of this stuff about Marilyn Manson, I knew that I had a bigger story here. And so that's what bothers me, because now you have made this a movie about Marilyn Manson. Now, you have reached out to Marilyn Manson, and he has agreed, he has denied uh, participating in the movie. He doesn't want to be, a, didn't want to be a part of it, but you still have to make an effort to present his point of view. So reach out to people in his camp, reach out to people who reach out to Dan Aguirre, you know, and, and present that point of view. So what this becomes is a much more one-sided uh, 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 three hour, two part documentary, again, documentary in quotes. Uh, and, and so that's not fair. Now uh, uh, I do appreciate the fact that this is a problem and has been for hundreds of years, that there are manipulative men who take young women and it happens the other way around too. I mean, there are men who like to be dominated by women and they will fucking give up their entire paychecks. You know, uh, <laughs> quick story. I was once in a strip bar in Las Vegas. And so the, the girl that they gave me a, a lap dance, she sits down next to me and she starts asking me questions. And so I knew where she was going. She was a, a dominatrix and she was trying to see if I would become a client of hers. So I turned the tables around her and I said, don't you feel guilty, you know, using uh, using these men? Well, they want it. And I go, yeah, but you know that they're they're suffering from some type of mental impairment that would allow you to take away all of their money, everything, to the point where you just told me that guys didn't even have money to buy food because they would give you all the money. You know, so aren't you just taking advantage? So it happens both ways. People are groomed, people are 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 are, are taken advantage of, and so forth. And so, uh, you know, I, I I forgot what my point was, but. Um, I, I think that there is some validity to this movie in terms of the whole grooming aspect and making people aware of that. Uh, I have two daughters. They're, they're now, you know, uh, it, well into their 20s, and this has never happened to them. Or, uh, but they have been in danger of dating people who have tried those types of tricks on them. And so I'm very, very sensitive to that as I would be for anyone's daughter, anyone's child, uh, boy or girl, who was facing this kind of grooming tactic and being taken advantage of. Well, let me just say, I support the film, period. Uh, even though I feel like it's extremely manipulative if anyone that, that knows any facts about anything, but I have no ob objection to her making this film. 
or to making it about her. And I advocate what she was advocating for helping women in the state of California. I think that part's great. Uh, but again, my if I could just if I if only two things I said are remembered, I think the context is king. And again, she portrays Manson as being a guy who seduced her and and you know, he was this older guy and he took advantage of her. But again, she has the propensity to date older men and bragged about it. And like I said, was even fucking Edward Norton when she was underage. And I like Edward Norton. I'm trying to bring him into this. It could be any person. I'm just saying that the point is she's not as innocent as she makes herself to be. And she doesn't reveal the context that she's dating that other woman. Again, they, there's an ulterior motive here. It's not just to help her. It's because she, uh, even Manson in his lawsuit is saying that it's not even Evan. It's the Gore woman who's the mastermind behind all of this, according to Manson's lawsuit. Mm -hmm. So I think that that should have been disclosed. And and I just, I'm sorry. And again, I've got sisters or at least one left and uh, had a mom. And I know I don't have daughters, but I still think I have a valid opinion on this. If you're, even if you're 19, no one can make you do drugs. Mm -hmm. No one's ever made me do drugs. I've turned it down hundreds of times. And people look at you like you're a fucking narcotics agent if you don't do drugs and they are. I've been in those uncomfortable situations so many times. She wanted to do those drugs, but the documentary makes it seem like, oh, Manson forced her. And that's bullshit, man. Like, just take, I know she's living a different life than she was 15 years ago. And so is he. So, I mean, but the point of what I'm trying to make is she makes it sound like every step of the way she's victimized. And we know that that's not true. That's not to say everything else she's saying isn't true. And the fact is, if she is telling the truth, then the movie deserves to be heard even more. So I, I support her making the movie, even if it's bullshit. Fuck it. I mean, she has her side of it, and and I don't think she should be censored. Right. Absolutely. And, and I don't think she she should be censored, but I just think that the context of everything she's leaving out is extremely valid, just to understanding the full context of everything that she's saying. Mm -hmm. And whether you still think he's guilty, then that's fine. That's fine, and the court system will take care of that or a settlement or whatever. But I just think if you look at in-depthly, it's a little shady in that aspect. But I guess some of the people that support Woody Allen would have said the same thing about the documentary we talked about months ago or a year ago on HBO that from his stepdaughter. Right. So it, Cliff Victoria guess, says, uh, no offense, but kids have not learned how to handle life. Older men who go after much younger women are a red flag. And then Grant Sims also says, uh, people can definitely make you do drugs. It's called peer pressure. Um, Fuck that. I've never done any drugs, period. Yeah, but and I've tried to have people you, force me to do drugs my whole life. You cannot apply your life experiences to this. On drugs? That's like saying, oh, I did, I, 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 if, even if you drink, if we're just talking about booze, if you don't want to drink it, then you don't drink it. But uh, sometimes, like she says in the documentary, she was intoxicated by this whole hanging out with a rock star. She really, really dug hanging out with him. He's smart. He's got a great worldview. He's very artistic, very creative. He was against uh, the norms of society. That all turned her on. And right. so as part of that, you know, you can be then swayed into doing something that you don't want to do, which is drugs or commit sexual acts that you really don't want to do. That's a part of the grooming process. And well, so I don't want to speak on the sex part because I don't know. Again, I wasn't there, but just vaguely on alcohol and drugs, 
if you if you do though, if you make those decisions, especially as an adult, just own them. That's it. That's all I'm saying. You're an adult. If you decide to to, to lift up, you know that crack pipe. And I know every life sucks for everybody, but if you smoke that fucking crack, that's on you, bro. I'm sorry, it is. Well, but anyway, I, I gotta think, go. I, I respect everybody, there, love I think, everybody. I gotta quickly, work until four p.m. So. <laughs> real quickly, I mean, there are people who will argue with you on that, saying that it is a disease and that some people are. I didn't say it wasn't disease. My dad was an addict. Right. Like I said, that's why I'm so against me doing drugs. Not everybody else. I'm for weed being legalized, as mm -hmm. an example. Mm -hmm. My dad was an addict. My cousin's an addict. I've seen people that I love be destroyed by it. But at the end of the day, I chose not to go that way. Mm -hmm. So that's up to the individual to either do that or not do that. You got to have, you've got to be able to take ownership for your actions. Like if I'm too heavy at the end of the day, I have to say, well, I shouldn't have eaten, you know, what, or shouldn't have drinking so much soda or drunk so much soda or, or what have you. Like I've got it. I can't just say, cause I had a bad childhood or something that all suddenly I'm heavier than what I'd like to be. At the end of the day, I'm responsible for my, what I eat. So Vince the food says, addiction is the same way. Uh, Vince says, I agree with that. Nobody makes you, and I've had pressure put on me. Nobody should be that weak. All right, Dan, you get out of here. You go save some lives. You tell people, don't do that drug, those drugs. <laughs> I'm not trying to lecture anybody. No, and I again, I, I got to go. But again, once more, I support. I don't think weed is a gateway for a, a gateway for everybody. I think it is for me because of my bloodline. Because my dad being such a bad addict, mm -hmm. that's why I chose not to do drugs. But that's my point. I could have continued on and just said, oh, well, my dad's an addict and it, it's it's his fault. Mm -hmm. But I chose not to because yeah. it's my it's my responsibility, not his. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was an addict and blood genetically. I probably have a higher propensity to get addicted than someone else. But at the end of the day, it's my it's my decision, man. It's not his fault mm -hmm. if I would have done it. It's on me. And I chose not to. Very cool. All right, brother. Thanks very much for the discourse. Bye, Danny. Uh, great show. See you brother. all later. I got to go. I'm sorry. No, no. Don't be sorry. Go on. Save some Thank lives, you. brother. Thank you. He is all right. dead. You can follow him. I haven't seen the... that one. That's on HBO, I think. Phoenix Rising. That is correct. I uh, I hope you will see it and um, and share your views on it. What, what do you think about what Dan just shared? Do you, you want to comment on anything or anything that I talked about? Or people in the chat, man. Right? Uh, it, I'll, I'll probably wait till I, you know, do a little watching of this documentary. You know, uh, yeah. I haven't, uh, you know, like I said, I'm all college basketball right now. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just say this uh, that um, I, I become a little sensitive when allegations by women or men. Uh, are made and they're they are immediately sure. dismissed and i've and i've done that too i've made that mistake you know it, 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 one of the things about social media is that we tend to immediately share our uh immediate thoughts on certain situations when we should oh, maybe stand back a little bit i mean the, the everyone on twitter this week who posted something and then uh took it off after thinking about it like judd apatow whether he was right or wrong with what he posted but it, that's that's an example of it uh, but it yeah. goes a little further than that when a woman makes the allegation that she was groomed uh, to do things that she didn't want. I don't think that we should immediately dismiss those things. And I'm not no, accusing no. Dan of doing that. Dan has a much more intimate uh, appreciation yeah. for that whole dynamic because he's followed Marilyn Manson's career and blah, blah, blah. Sure. But I, I just feel like uh, let's all 
withhold judgment, get all the facts, and hopefully this this ends up being in a court of law yeah, and, 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 is, and the yeah. jury decides what, what's right and what's wrong. It's it's why we have court the court system. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like I, I think back, I'm like, usually it's like a, a lot over the past, I don't know, five years, probably maybe 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of learned not to believe a story when it comes out to wait, you know, 24 to 48 hours before, you know, making any snap judgments. Like I think back to like the Jesse Smollett you know, mm-hmm. a case where it was like, right. you know, uh, this is mega country and I was beaten up and then it turned out to be completely fraudulent, you yeah. know? So, I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, don't believe so many people like, you know, I, I think of like Joy Reed and uh, Whoopi Goldberg and all these people who are like, oh, that's how it is, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like that, you know? Yep. But I mean, uh, there are cases that are true, you know? But I mean, I, I saw in the, the chat room and take out a case by case basis. That's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, uh, the fact facts have to be weighed, you know, and, and whether or not you're judged by a judge or a jury of your peers, that's the system we have. And so far, you know, this system has, has worked quite well. Right. You know, this system of, uh, uh, we have of, you know, innocent until proven guilty, a judge or jury of your peers, you know, and that, that's about the that's about as fair as you're going to get because people lie. You know, human nature. You know, mm-hmm. ain't nobody in this world ever ever never told a fucking lie. Right. Well, so, and I'll tell you this about Dan. You know, despite the fact that uh, I disagree with him on certain aspects of this, uh, I know that if this comes out, that Marilyn Manson did commit these criminal type offenses that he yes. will amend some of the things that he has said. Um, and I, you know, I, I believe he will do that. Do you um, think he'll still be a fan? Well, you know, that's the tricky question. You know, are that's you still a fan of Michael Jackson, despite the allegations against him? Are there are other artists, you know, who have had, who have done some terrible things in their yeah. personal yeah. lives, you know, sculptors, the, painters, the, dilemma. the Bill Cosby th- thing, you know, I, I actually, uh, there's a channel on cable that was showing a Cosby show marathon. And I actually watched a couple of episodes and remembered how much I liked the show. Yeah, you watch it a little bit now with that kind of, man, Bill, I wish you wouldn't have done, you know, all these things that you're alleged of doing. And uh, But I, I think for the most part, you can separate the art and the artist, uh, and what the artist does in their personal life, but it's but it's sometimes harder than with with some than others. Adepta says the court of public opinion lacks the scrutiny and ability to vet evidence. Very very well said, Adeptus. Yeah, and the, uh, uh, the mob rule. Thank you for listening to Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. Make sure you subscribe to the Barroom Network and you give us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, my name is Nomfe. Bear down.